The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. Producer Conrad here, and we have a great show this week as Tim takes us on a journey through the history, the merits, and the challenges of boycotts as a form of protest. The gang also checks in on the situation in France and a proposed strike action by nurses and doctors in the UK. But first, Mule gets into some pillow talk. And so that's why, you know, I, I, I have to come out you know, when, when I'm involved with someone in, in an intimate fashion with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just a really powerful French accent, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. je voudrais manger tu poussi avec un... The release uh, the baguette. Yeah. yeah, you know, because, you know, who wants to listen to this when they're just near completion, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, are you, are you enjoying that? Oh, how's yeah, yeah. that going? You know. <laughs> just makes me think of, of peewit, you know. <laughs> yeah, it does. And, and Mule, that's, that's why I, I don't come during these Red Planet episodes. Yeah, that's I get why to... you're not pee wet. You're not pee wet, obviously. <laughs> that's right. right. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Just if, so... if our audience, I'm sure, wants to know why are there lack of orgasms on Red Planet? <laughs> and that this is why. Everyone's yeah. always asking this. I see it in the chat at least five times an episode. We, we have know, to so moderate you know. it away. We, mm. we, we hire mods, feed them that's... gruel just for this. That's yeah. right. That's right. It's Red Planet, that's right, it's happening. Oh my gosh, welcome everybody watching, uh, whether you're live, whether you're listening uh, uh, to us on a podcast. Um, It's the show where we talk about uh, all the base stuff and we talk to base people and there are base people in my uh, immediate area known as my co-host. And I want to know, there's base people (laughs) near you. Yeah, yeah. Base people in your area, they don't want to remarry. They just want (laughs) to unionize. It's true. Uh, and so with that in mind, let's speak to our lovely boy, Tim. Tim, what's the most based thing that you did oh, I didn't this even week? fill this out. Um, I, yeah, I was busy writing other stuff. Um, busy so I was busy writing the, the entire episode today, You were just by the busy way, doing so. the entire episode for today. <laughs> I think that actually counts as like the most based thing you've done this week, actually. It so probably if does. You, but, if you're um, struggling, yeah. Well, yeah, so, I was thinking... I was gonna say it's such a shame you didn't pick me to go first because I have a perfect answer for your for what you just said. Oh, okay. Wow. But well, that's okay. I mean, that's fine. The, that's the, fine. The, the closest fine. thing is probably um uh I don't know. This is like I mean, it was it's still my job, so it's like not like I, you know, did this in my own volition, but I did um I did like a 10 year sobriety tat on a dude the other day. Oh, like, yeah. Just yeah, like 10 rocks. years of being so but, and I thought that was like, yeah, and it, like when I was doing it, I was like thinking a lot about that, about like how long 10 years is and like, you know, like a lot of my friends that are like, you know, like sober and stuff and like how like important those milestones are. And I was like, that's like 10 years is like so huge. That's like yeah. almost as long as I've been tattooing. And I think about like how much I've changed and stuff in that time. And it's like. Wow. So yeah, some some big ups to Mr. Greg. Ten years. Awesome. <laughs> big up, Mr. Greg. That's so but, awesome, um, Tim. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Mule? 
Uh, so I, uh, one of the base things I did this week was I finally finished my new video. That's out. It's on YouTube. It premiered today. Very excited yes. about it. I've had a lot of good feedback from it so far. Um, but it's really funny because I, I was going to say that like, that's the only base thing that I've done this week because it's got quite a based message. It's about, um, you know, basically talking uh, about uh, queer analysis of certain medias. Uh, I'm also going to be watching this on Kira's Twitch channel tomorrow with oh. her to talk about that. So she's very excited. I'm very excited. Yep. You should be very excited. Yep. Twitch.tv slash Kira chat. If you're um... listening to this in the future, you can go yes. find it on my uh, on my YouTube channel or on my, excuse me, on my uh, Twitch channel and maybe my YouTube channel. Maybe yeah, we'll play on about, YouTube channel. I don't know. Like the queer themes in Berserk, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I thought that this was the only base thing that I've done this week because I've been so hyper-focused on it. I've been really burnt out. Like, you know, you'll, you'll, you two all know what it's like when you just put so much effort into something and then you're just like, I just need yeah. a rest. Like, I, you know, I need to just like not do anything. So I've just been playing like a lot of Super Mario Galaxy. Um, nice. but, um, yeah. Uh, but also I found out that I did do some base this week. I actually spoke to a member in uh, uh, in Manchester here who's, who's part of GMTU. Uh, and basically she's got like whole plethora of problems. And um, as per usual uh you know we do find that majorly uh people who come to us with disputes with their housing are racialized single mothers and this was absolutely the case for this member um and um you know they are just um you know obviously because of their marginalization picked on uh bullied a lot more than other people with more privilege um and so it was uh, really good to be able to empower her with the knowledge that her landlord has basically broken the law at many points um there's something that you need as a landlord in in the uk that's called a gas safety certificate so uh, just a bit of know your rights stuff here on this, the, the, the show today. If you're in the UK, you need a gas safety certificate um, uh, 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 you know, as a landlord for your tenants. Um, otherwise, the, the, land, the, the property is, is not, it's not allowed to be used as, as, as a rented property. Like that's just completely illegal. And uh, because you're putting your, your tenant's life at danger, basically. Like, this so it's is just like, like making sure there's no like gas leaks or like yeah. all the gas like fittings and stuff are up to standard yeah. and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is like, Absolutely. you know, like in an apartment building or something like that, if something could go catastrophically wrong, you know? So, yeah, yeah. Like that. That's that's the, that's so that's the whole thing. So knowing that, like, um, yeah, imagine, yeah, I know, like, like Sh- Shafiq in the Twitch chat here is saying, letting a property without a gas safety certificate. Holy fuck, that's bad. It is really bad. So you know, if if that's something you've not had from your landlord, you know, that's a bit of leverage that you could use in a, a potential dispute with them. Uh, you know, just be like, listen, you're you're breaking the law, and and that's what's going down. So yeah, had a, had a meeting with a member about that yesterday, and uh, she felt very good and empowered that you know we're going to move forward with her uh, uh, dispute. And uh, yeah, so that was that was pretty good. Um, but yeah, Kira, what have you done this week that is extra based? Extra based, uh, nothing extra based, but um, I am so. Since ten, my base things that I do tend to be very self, self like oriented because I'm a very selfish, self oriented person. Still important. <laughs> that being said, um, the base things that I've been doing is trying to make decisions that are healthy and good for me, and that are not. And you've been helping me with this. This is a base thing that you've done, Mule. You've been very helpful with this. Um, for my own personal life, my own romantic life, trying to make healthy decisions, even if they're very difficult, um, that are good for me. And to that extent, I've been trying to like, actually try to 
find base people near me, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, I, and so I already started like looking around, like dating stuff a little bit. Um, and it's been really, first of all, it's been kind of traumatic because you interact with a lot of like shitty people. Like I've already been yeah. like, I've already been like really like yelled at by a guy because I was like, hey, if we go somewhere, I want to make sure that that place like has outdoor seating because I'm like, don't I want to avoid COVID. And he started, he just went off on me and it was really jarring because like, this is a person that was like really nice and fine. And it's just like, that's the thing. Like if they're, if you're an asshole up front, that sucks. But, but it's, it's a different a kind of suck. Us. Yeah, it's yeah. a different kind of suck. It's a different kind of like traumatic when it's like someone that you you're like, wow, you just like flip a switch. Um, so navigating that's been kind of stressful as a as a communist, vegan, feminist, COVID believer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but mm. but it's also been really a challenge that I think is like a probably a good thing for me to actually stop being so scared of interacting with the the world around me because of how insular that um like our perspectives can can make us feel and mm. to like reach out and see what what's up so i've already been like you know just trying that i've already found out that like there's some normies that sure they're normies but they seem pretty based and i think very pillable and so it, yeah. it, i don't know it's been really it's been kind of like a really scary but cool thing for me it's scary this might not be a big deal for anybody else by the no, way no i think but, it's a huge deal and i'm really proud of you yeah yeah thanks yeah. Thanks. I tend to like not have friends or do anything social at all. Like it's it's really not okay. Um, I just I, I live inside your internet and every once in a while <laughs> I go outside and pick up groceries and I come right back inside the internet. Like I'm I'm very not sociable. So this is like a big deal for me and it's kind of like facing like a fear that I just didn't realize I had. And so um yeah, it's been I think that's pretty based. Right. Extremely based. Extremely okay. based. Yeah. I think and, uh yeah. yeah. And thank you, Mule, once again for for being such a supportive friend <laughs> and for giving me nice friendly kicks in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> not not mean ones, but like, listen, this you, is what's you, good for you. Yeah, you, you gotta have someone who tells you what's what. I, I pride myself on telling the truth, you know what I mean? Mm. I, I think if a lot more people did that, we'd live in a better truth world. Teller. DJ yeah. Mule. Yeah, that's right. Known mm. truth teller, DJ mm. Mule. Um, especially the thing that I said at the start of the show. That's definitely true. Um, right. Okay. So uh thanks. So sorry, Kira, did it cut you off or did you have No, that, that's that's pretty much it. Um cool. I'm single. That's all. I just cool. want to put that out there into the world. I'm a, I'm very single. I'm extremely single. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure Sophie's been up to like actual real life based stuff, but um seeing as she's not here um we're what what did Soph get up to this week what are we um what are we imagining that she's doing right now that's probably based? tattooing her leg another in another spot <laughs> yeah, 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 some, like, yeah there's a there's like the picture of Lennon or something going on um there's yeah while also giving like some kind of like really empowering speech at a rally an injection of one hand and then a self yeah yeah yeah, 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 on yeah. The thigh yes, and the other exactly double needled up just <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah. she's it's like she's not even absent she's yeah be yeah. <laughs> right saying catboy lennon tattoo let's fucking go <laughs> all right yeah. okay so that's what soap is doing uh this week but um yeah we also about... have uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about this, Tim, or 
I was going to say, um, we so we started talking a couple weeks ago about you know bringing in, starting to talk more about the based things that um that that all of you have been doing at home and asking people to send in submissions of like you know what have you been up to as well, um, and it's been pretty cool, yeah, getting to see some people, you know, some things that people have done, um, so we so we're doing them like kind of anonymously right we're not like attaching is that was that the deal yeah i think so I, unless people yeah. want their names to be announced um yeah because yeah. um yeah sometimes it's kind of you know you don't really want to put it out there what you're doing or whatever but um yes yeah, so this one is an anonymous one saying the base thing i did this week was anonymously set up a tiny food bank in my apartment complex our complex is fairly small but i wanted to do something to help since food prices in the U.S. are getting higher. I had a lot of food in my house that I knew I would simply never eat for one reason or another. So at 1 a.m., I set up an area in our communal laundry room with lots of shelf-stable foods and a note that says, apartment food bank, take what you need, leave what you don't. I don't intend to, to take credit for this in person as I don't want to risk any potential trouble with my landlord. And they've attached a photo that... um. Yeah, of their little like a little shelf set up. There's some tins. There's some Tupperware. There's like I think it's like is it? I'm not sure what that is in the box, but I don't know. It's like a little carton of milk or something. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, lots of um really good useful stuff that would be yeah pretty I guess useful for everyone. Which um yeah rules is really cool. Super awesome. Um, Thank you so yeah, much yeah. for. Uh, you know, telling us about the base stuff you do, it, it really warms our heart. You know, this is the point of Red Planet. We want to inspire people to do stuff. So yeah, anything that you've got to to, to tell us about, it's uh, based at redplanet.show. Is that right? Or is it redplanetshow.com? Redplanetshow.com. Yeah. So based at redplanetshow.com. Uh, yeah, you can um, also, yeah, just on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, you can check it there but um yeah yeah so yeah just include your name pronouns if you want to be anonymous or not and um yeah yeah and we might uh slide it in at the start of another episode cool. that base thing uh, reminds me of something i did before um when i was lived in the other city i used to live in because i got really into gardening and this is when i was like trying not to think of communism as like theory and, and by the way no, there's nothing wrong and i don't i don't think there's anything wrong and i think there's actually a huge benefit and imperative to like learn about theory but um i was trying to step away from like a lot of the twitter squabble the nitpicking that i oh, noticed right, yeah. and try to be more like okay what the what the, the hell actual is the point real of, life practices right what's the yeah. actual point like and and i was like you know what i'm gonna treat this like i try to treat anything which is try to just live according to my values like yeah. if 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 I'm a communist, what does that look like? Instead of just waiting for the revolution to like start, what do I do today? And so because I was gardening, I started, uh, I took these little like, I, I, I sprouted little seedlings of like edible plants, like kale and like romaine lettuce and like herbs and stuff. And I put them in these little biodegradable uh, pots that you can just put right into like soil and it'll like, you know, biodegrade. And then I labeled them all. And I like, I put like a ton out. I know that B-Rat might have a picture actually to throw in the chat, who knows? Um, but yeah, I put them out and I like put little labels and I put the word they're good for. And I'm like, hey, anyone can take them. And people did. I was so excited. Cause I like, I kept peeking out. And I'm like, oh, five are gone. Oh yeah, my God, I just awesome. put it out like an hour ago. And it was, it was really exciting. And then I would walk through the neighborhood and I could see some of them in the windows. 
It was so cute. I loved it. And so we just, I don't know, it that made me the the base thing that one of our uh, audience members did this week made me think of that. And uh, it's such a good feeling when you can just do the thing, even if it's a teeny tiny little thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Like, um, and it's wild when you think about like, if you've done that and you've just put them out and you see them in other people's windows and stuff, like imagine if everyone was doing some kind of small gesture like that, like the kind of communities that you know right. pop up around that. That's what I was um, trying to, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. it's not just the thing that was given. It's like the, the type of community that like, if somebody receives one of those, what kind of effect does that have on them? Because we're like, even though you, I lived in the city, like people just like try not to like they avert eye contact. You just shut your door. Like you don't actually interact with anyone, even though you're like stacked, you know, in a city. Um, and this and and this for me, as someone who doesn't know how to socialize either, I'm really bad at it. But this for me made me feel like at least I'm making a connection with people. Maybe they feel that, and it's not a connection that was based off of like a conflict, but it's it's out of just like a genuine just giving with no intention of ever receiving anything. Um, yeah. I put little labels yep. and um, for people to take. So I was so happy with it. it made me feel oh, so yeah. good. You should, do, you should do this again if this is something that you, you could easily just yeah. do. Like this rocks. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I, I've since moved, so I have to get more gardening stuff. But I would totally love uh, to do it again because it's, it's, it's so – it made me feel really good. Yeah. I have um, some neighbors that have like a bunch of – like they do a lot of gardening. They have like they've built their own kind of big planter – box things and they with that kind of stuff and like maybe like a month or so ago they just like left a giant like you know like a big basket thing like a hamper full of all vegetables and stuff on my front door and they were just like we just have too many you know (laughs) like it was like heaps like that's awesome thank you for being a nice neighbor that's awesome (laughs) Um, I love that but um yeah speaking of other based things that people are doing out in the world before we get into the news this kind of I guess this is news um the first thing I saw this morning when I woke up was um John Leguizamo's I'm not really great at pronouncing but um Uh his um statement of trans support on Twitter um which is extremely based you know like the climate around like trans stuff in the states at the moment there's a lot of celebrities that are shying away from it so it's awesome to see this like photo of him holding a drink kind of cheesily smiling past the camera with um writing over the top that he's probably done on his phone (laughs) which is like makes it more wholesome saying um yeah that he's just you know all about trans rights and supporting the lgbtq plus community which um yeah is great like oh yeah i just wanted to throw that in there because it's just like such a random little thing from yeah john leguizamo i think that is important um, though tim because i think it's it's like when people are in these positions i don't know like how often celebrities realize they're in a position of power um just because of i guess the circumstance and the bizarrety of being like a famous person but like when you just take a stance that simply on social media you can have like a massive effect Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, on people yeah Yeah. and yeah it's like it's wild because I'm thinking about like how many other celebrities have I seen making statements like that? Like not really that many, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I mean, he's only put, he's only had it up for like an hour and there's already like uh, just over an hour. And there's like already so many, you know, like comments on it, 
you know, for people. I love these mm-hmm. ones. Thank you, Mr. Liguiziamo. Are you single? <laughs> so, yeah. um, but anyway, uh, we should move on to the real, the real hard hitting mm-hmm. news of the. Uh, Can of I just say week. really quick? One of my favorite trans positive celebrity moments was Lady Gaga talking oh, about yeah. how oh, yeah. she she like she was questioned by one of those interviewers. I forget who about whether or not she has a penis and she's just sitting there like chewing ice or something and she's just, like <laughs> why do you why do you even care like why do my no one care none of my fans care why would that even matter and the guy yeah. was like the, uh-huh, the interview uh-huh. was like really offended it seemed like because he was like yeah, this is yeah. supposed to be like a contentious issue you're supposed to deny it and she like all like flustered but instead she's just chilling and just like be like what do, what is wrong with you who cares oh is it actually <laughs> anderson cooper is that right yeah I yeah. Think- yeah it was and then it's like it's awesome because that turns it around on him. Mm-hmm. Like you're the weirdo. Like you're like what are yeah, you you're the weirdo about, asking you know? about my genitals. What is wrong with you? And also, like, she never says trans rights or anything in it. Uh, but it's it it it's still in in my mind like such a powerful like the thing that that sticks out the most about um like uh, of her showing support for trans people because she doesn't even have to like like. Saying this, saying these slogans isn't powerful and stuff, but like just not even like just being like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and not having to like think about it and make a really like a carefully considered statement or whatever like that. Just exactly. like obviously She's just, just reacting and being like, like what? what? Like, <laughs> it's real. It's real. She was real yeah. for saying that. And then and, and that's 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 the reality of the yeah. absurdity of, you know, anti-trans sentiments, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's the quote. Uh, Why the hell am I going to waste my time and give a press release about whether or not I have a penis? My fans don't care and neither do I. Based. Based. Extremely based. Based. So, um, and what else is based? I feel like we've said that a million times this episode already, based. Um, So, uh, this is an update. We we actually talked about this a couple weeks ago. Well, maybe even a month or two ago. This started off. Um, But... Down here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, a bunch of strip club dancers got fired unceremoniously a little while back. And they've been since campaigning for increased protections, not just for their industry, but for all contractors in general. Extremely based. So this group, they've um, formed under the name Fired Up Stilettos, like F-U-S, and a lot of their um, stuff is like, you know, hashtag kick up a fuss and all this kind of stuff. Um, they've been staging regular protests outside Parliament uh, in Wellington, getting, um, you know, the public to come along and join them and support. And they've had like, you know, like a whole bunch of like this bunch of Greens MPs have joined them and they've been they've set up polls and they're like dancing in front of it. They've got microphones, sound system and everything. And um, it's been like probably one of the most based with the best kind of like the most I guess um the best messaging from a protest that I've seen for a long time um it's yeah so um they so they all got fired together because basically their boss came in and was like hey here's a new contract I want you to sign and they were like well okay like we're not going to sign that because the existing contracts are kind of shitty enough and you're trying to take away even more rights that we have. And uh, we're not even sure it's like the agreement that we're already on is legal and you want us, you know, to have less sort of thing. And so, um, so they were like, we're going to hold off on signing this for now. And then they went home that night or whatever. And then their boss fired them over Facebook, like in a, a, a group that all the, 
all the other dancers that everyone posted in like a workplace Facebook group, basically. It was like named them all and was like, yeah, you guys are all fired or whatever. So they were like, okay, that's that's definitely kind of fucked up. So um yeah, since then um they've been they've been doing this. And uh yeah, it was pretty it was pretty good. A huge turnout. Um and a lot of like it's not just the dancers, it's like their family members and you know like friends and all that kind of stuff around sport. But then there's been a lot of other people that are starting to come in just who are just contractors or you know whatever and they realize how it's like what they're what they're talking about will affect them too which has been part of their messaging since day one since they formed the group fight up stilettos they were like we're not just going to be talking about just our rights like that's obviously our prerogative but we're going to be talking about like contractors rights in general across you know new zealand um so yeah uh so one stripper, Molly, who was one of the organizers uh, on just Sunday, because they've been doing this every week, uh, spoke to the crowd and said, while the movement is about labor rights for strippers, it also goes deeper than that. This is about safety. It is about dignity. It is about race and gender. It is about fundamental human rights of those who work in the adult entertainment industry, she said. It's about contractors and the lack of protections that all contractors in our country suffer from. It's about stigma and discrimination and the pervasive impact those things have on the lives of people in this, in this country. It's about breaking the cycle of abuse our managers have relied on to make profits. It's about recognizing that many industries in our country rely on the exploitation of women and gender minorities. And um, another stripper, <laughs> I love all the names are like Molly and Lolly and stuff. But so another one, Lolly, um, who said she was part of the group for, uh, fired from Calendar Girls in Wellington, said, uh, it's hoped that this movement will help a number of sectors in New Zealand. We must look beyond our industry and find our fellow contractors in every sector, she told the crowd. Our hope is that if strippers manage to get legislative change that upholds the contractor's status, while ensuring venues treat us with dignity and professionalism, that perhaps other industries suffering from a lack of contractor protections will be able to make changes too. A third stripper named Melody, who was also fired from Calendar Girls, dedicated her speech to MPs or members of parliament. Uh, sex workers are keepers of a menagerie of secrets. We value discretion. So we don't name names, but we know just how many members of this parliament and other government officials from across the political spectrum frequent our establishments. And I'm certain that you all have a hunch too, she said. So dear MPs, to know your colleagues are accessing our services and then to turn around and act as, as if this has nothing to do with you is both wildly hypocritical and deeply irresponsible. Nice. So, um, yeah, which is like, that's a thing that has happened all over the world before, you know, like we've seen this in the States with, um, you know, like Republican and, and Democrat as well. Um, senators like, you know, like voting against the sex, you know, like, um, voting against the interests of sex workers and then, you know, being exposed for being frequent patrons of like, you know, uh, like brothels and sex workers and stuff. So, um, yeah, so they got a petition on the New Zealand Parliament website. At the moment, it's got uh, 3,200 and something signatures, and it's calling for an established right of adult entertainment workers to bargain collectively while maintaining independent contractor status. It outlaws all, all fines and bonds between employers and contractors and establish a nationwide mandatory maximum of 20% that an employer can take from a contractor's profits. So this is a huge thing um, for them where uh, 
a lot of the time in a strip club to go to work, you have to pay a bond. And then it's kind of like, you know, to, um, if you do anything wrong or whatever, they can fine you, which can come out of your earnings for that night, or it can come out of the bond that you've already paid down and stuff. So there's, you know, instances uh, that they've talked about and that, you know, other people have brought up since this conversation has come up where people are literally like going to work and dancing all night and coming home with like no money or even owing money and just you know like because of this fine system which is like totally illegal and stuff but no one's ever really been able to push them on it because you know like a lot of the time the dudes that run these clubs are kind of just like pretty dodgy anyway like you know there's yeah. um even like some of the biggest clubs in New Zealand are run by two brothers that are like dodgy as fuck and are like super close friends with our former prime minister and like you know just like all this kind of shady mm. stuff so um like no one's really been able to push back because a lot of the time it's like you know if you if you do push back or whatever you can just you can be fired you can just be like not rusted on for any more shifts or whatever so that's part of what they're saying here where they want to um they want the right to be able to bargain collectively while still maintaining independent contractor status so to be a, a contractor still but still be able to kind of get together the way that um, a normal employee would or whatever so that they actually do have some kind of power to yeah to kind of push back against the corrupt bosses and stuff and um yeah so uh yeah uh, the industry in general has you know widespread labor exploitation i would say that like a lot of industries do but um yeah but they're they want to make the point that it's not due to the adult nature of their work but because of the lack of legal protections offered to workers who are not employees and because we depend on a venue we've experienced a culture of bullying income theft violations of contract law and sometimes outright labor trafficking we want nationwide intervention to stop these exploited exploitative practices the petition said and that's the thing right like um what a lot of sex workers need isn't um you know, like they don't need the bosses kind of for, I mean, it's like for the most part, what they really need is just the venue, which is something that comes up a lot in their messaging, right? Like they need the club, like, or full service sex workers often need like a brothel or somewhere to work out of. And they don't need like all, a lot of the other stuff that these, um, basically what you hear referred to a lot as like the pimp lobby or like, you know, what is like effectively a pimp, like, what do they bring into the table, you know, aside from the initial capital to start up a club or something like that. So um, mm -hmm. there are clubs around that have moved to more of a co-op model. Apparently there is one in New Zealand that has shifted over quite successfully to do this because they were basically just like, we want a venue, not a pimp, you know? So um, yeah. So that, yeah, that kind of middle management and stuff is just like, it's, it's largely unnecessary and, from within a more worker um like a worker controlled structure you can you know like you can kind of um democratically figure out how you're going to handle that yourself whether you you know like you have someone as a manager that everyone kind of you know like reports to and does all that kind of stuff or whatever or whether you share the duties between you it's like you know there's plenty of ways to do that um and they definitely don't need a grubby man with you know lots of gold rings sitting in the back room 
like <laughs> you know <laughs> I don't know how to think of the but like the dude that runs this these clubs in particular is like that guy you know um so yeah so that's an update of what's happening with them um they have got yeah like I said they've got some support from some um some like pretty I would say influential people within the Greens um party like uh the MP Jan Logie gave a speech um at the event on Sunday which is really cool uh, and I would be surprised if uh, I wouldn't be surprised if no other MPs got up behind them because um, there's a couple others that I know that are like sympathetic to um, kind of um, you know the plight of sex workers in New Zealand. So hopefully we'll see some movement on that because I think it's going to benefit all contractors across all industries to have things like this in law. Yes, and not just you know like um, I think not just contractors and stuff as well i think any time uh an industry like this which is like considered considered kind of like a minority you know like a very small industry anytime that they step up and make change from within i think uh that can be a really influential thing here and abroad so yeah um but moving on a little bit what's happening over with the nhs mule Oh, it's the NHS, it's the UK, it's Nightmare Turf Island. Thank you, Tim. Um, so <clears throat> the story that we're going to report on is part of something we've already reported on. Um, it's the ongoing NHS crisis in the UK. Uh, but this is specifically talking about uh, nursing union, uh, uh, the Royal College of Nurses, uh, planning a mega strike in England uh, uh, later on this year. So uh, England's biggest nursing union is to uh, ballot its members on whether to join a, quote, make or break mega strike that would lead to mass action by nurses in every hospital trust in the country. Um, if you've been listening to us report on this on Red Planet before, um, the uh, massive nursing unions, uh, Unison, have been organising strikes uh, for nurses. And um, yeah, essentially, uh, they, they tried to negotiate a pay rise deal that the membership overwhelmingly did not want. And, uh, you know, you can learn more about how whether your union is acting against the interests of its members on our episode on Yellow Unions, which was a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, this is yellow union behavior, you know, where where um, unions are basically there like, right, we've done a bit of striking. What do you reckon to this uh, uh, offer? And, uh, you know, if, if, if there's any kind of attempt to circumvent the democratic process, then you got yourself a, a yellow union there, comrade. Um, but luckily, the RCN is uh, listening to their members a bit more thoroughly, and uh, they are talking legitimately about starting, as, as I've previously said, one of the biggest strikes uh, by nurses in this country. Uh, so... Um, Dr. Vivek Trivedi, uh, co-chair of the BMA's Juniors Doctors, Junior Doctors Committee, says coordinated action in the future is definitely something we could consider. Uh, options could include action on the same dates as nurses or alternating dates. And this is another thing as well to, uh, to, to remember that junior doctors are also uh, on strike as well at the moment. There's a lot of strike action going on in the UK for junior doctors uh, because their pay rate has, has just significantly not been uh, uh, representative of, of inflation whatsoever. Someone did a really good sort of visual for people like me that don't really understand percentages and stuff like that. So a can of beans 10 years ago cost 40p. And um, a can of beans nowadays, we're talking about Heinz beans 
baked beans uh, it cost £1.20. And I actually didn't know how much it had increased in price because I don't often buy uh, uh, Heinz baked beans because I'm just not that British, I guess. Uh, but it was a sort of really good, uh, uh, you know, visual metaphor for, for the pay rise. It's like, so, you know, they can afford, <clears throat> they could have afforded in 2010, like 24 cans of beans uh, a month or, or like a week or something like that. But then in, you know, modern days, uh, they can only afford like, you know, eight or something like that. Um, so yeah, it was a really good sort of uh, <laughs> visual thing that a lot of, a lot of Brits, a lot of bruvs are going to enjoy. Do you know what I mean? They're going to enjoy looking at that. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, in all seriousness, it is, you know, uh, such a, a horrific state of affairs with the NHS because of course, we all know that the Tories are attempting pri uh, uh, privatization by stealth. And what that means is, uh, you know, not openly announcing that you're selling massive swathes of the NHS infrastructure, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for example, call centers, you know, that was, I think, one of the first things that people that, that they started uh, uh, contracting out to other companies, private companies. Um, and then, you know, as things go on, private nurse agencies, private doctors agencies, you know, so within the NHS, the NHS might be something that's funded by the, the government, but, um, you know, the people People working within that are getting paid from the private sector, um, you know, with subsidies from the government and stuff. So it is a, an attempt to privatise uh, one of the most important mm -hmm. uh, institutions in the UK. You know, we're talking free healthcare. Um, yeah, as an know. American, I can attest it's very important. <laughs> right. This is this is just such a, a an absurd thing in terms of like, you know, what British people do not realize they have here, um, you know, and, and most of and most of British people's complaints about the NHS, um, you know, trans healthcare care aside, um, is that, you know, this is just a result of the underfunding by the Tories, the trans healthcare, care, um, you know, failings and also the mental health care failings are also down to institutional, uh, you know, just just oppression of, of both mm -hmm. trans people, you know, people who suffer, uh, you know, from mental health issues and stuff. Yeah, like that Yeah, but well. they're exacerbated by a lack of funding because you can just yeah. be like, look, we only have one dollar. We're going to put it to not the minorities, not the yeah. people that we're already demonizing, you know, it, and then you it, blame them for taking money. <laughs> that, that this is, exactly. It's like <laughs> it's like this big Ouroboros of, uh, uh, you know, this is why we can't, you know, fund yeah, yeah, trans yeah. healthcare. Well, this is also why also this should make you, you know, have no solidarity. It's it's really messed up. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so uh, regardless, um, just coming back to this about the uh, RCN strikes. Um, so yeah, Dr. Vivek Trivedi said, uh, like doctors, nurses have had cuts in pay in real terms. We're, we are different professions, but we're basically fighting for the same thing. Uh, if it is able to be done in a way which maintains safety but increases pressure on the government, it's something we would be willing to consider. So that's some amazing solidarity from the, the BMA uh, junior Doctors Committee. Um, Sir Julian Hartley, who's the Chief Executive of NHS Providers, said in an, an interview on Sky News on Saturday that coordinated strike action would be completely unprecedented and uncharted territory. The RCN has said it is not planning at present to coordinate action with doctors, but I think that's a really good point to look at there in terms of how powerful this could be um, just by a, a simple show of solidarity. And I think this is more of an attest, uh, uh, sorry, a testament to the, the rising class consciousness in Britain, uh, you know, especially among um, among doctors, especially among like, uh, you know, people who who basically work in uh, the very infrastructure of 
you know what's important in this country like healthcare and uh, transport and stuff like that so this is uh, massive education too as well of course we've been covering all this on red planet um the rcn's uh, high stakes strike action decision follows its announcement on friday that its members had rejected 54% to 46% a government pay offer of a 5% rise this year and a cash payment for last year despite the union's leadership recommending its approval with feeling running high among many nurses that their own union set the bar too low in talks with ministers the rcn is now preparing a final concerted push to secure more for them the union is warning ministers that if they do not reopen negotiations they will face a potential nightmare summer autumn and winter of action by nurses, junior doctors, and potentially even hospital consultants who are threatening to ballot for strikes all in the run-up to a likely 2024 uh, uh, general election. Um, So, yeah, this is another really important thing to consider as well, that, you know, the Tories, in terms of um, Boris Johnson, you know, when they were last elected in the last election in 2019, um, they ran on the fact that, you know, the Tories were saying that they would get the money that they've saved from Brexit and use that to fund our NHS. And obviously this is something that we're just not seeing reflected in doctors, nurses, consultants' salaries. Uh, And of course, you know, big parts of the NHS being sold off to private companies. So this is something that the Tories uh, are going to desperately be trying to hide uh, before the 2024 election. But of course, uh, you know, if, if the unions keep up strong action uh, it could possibly uh, force them to act um, whether that act is actually you know something that's accepted by the electorate something that's accepted by uh, you know people who would normally vote tory or whatever uh, that remains to be seen but you know we love strike action here anyway at, the, at red planet so whatever happens we're happy that this is happening um so yeah where am i up to with this um the prime minister cannot run an nhs without nurses and doctors for the rest of the year his last pay offer has failed the fairness test with nurses uh sorry the fairness test with nurses i don't know about what i just <laughs> said there um and so they are expecting him to put another on the table our members do not feel valued and until they do they will remain a political problem for rishi sunak to address a national strike by nurses would take the nhs crisis to a new level the rcm will need 50 percent of its members to vote in the ballot which will open next month and at least 50 percent of these to vote yes to national action union sources says it will require 70,000 rcn nhs nurses to vote yes 20,000 fewer than voted to reject the government pay offer it is achievable however said a union source the British Medical Association has urged the government to engage in talks over junior doctors' demands for pay restoration to 2008 levels. Um, ministers have claimed that this would amount to a 35% pay rise and called on junior doctors to cancel plans for any further strikes before any discussions could take place. It's funny, isn't it? It's like this is this is the back and forth negotiation we see when dual power is in its sort of early days right you know so we have this dual power that is being cultivated by the unions in terms of workers rights specifically nurses and junior doctors rights uh uh, you know in this discussion particularly and you know the government is quite clearly aware of how much power is is in those organizations and how much they could disrupt services uh which would lead people to you know be mad at the government essentially be like you know come on why aren't you just paying them more like everybody wants the, the nhs to be paid more there is no one in this country who is excited about the idea of privatization in the nhs everybody wants more and more people to to, to be uh you know paying attention to this stuff so it's like you know it's interesting that this is this is what they're trying to do they're being like no no no, no don't strike if you tell you what if you don't strike then we'll talk about pay rise we all know that's not going to happen 
we all know that's not going to happen. So, you know, this is why it's really important to uh, show solidarity with uh, mm -hmm. these unions. Um, but yeah, that is it on on uh, on that particular story. And Kira, why don't you tell us about what's going on in Tunisia? Sure. Um, and just warning, there's a lot of words in uh, this section that I'm probably going to mispronounce. So please feel free to correct me wherever. Um, but yeah, I'm going to try my best. Um, so a Tunisian footballer dies after setting himself on fire in protest. So Tunisian football player uh, Nizar Izawi, Izawi uh, 35 years old, suffered third-degree burns and was taken to the specialist Burns Hospital in Tunis. But doctors were unable to save, it, save his life. Uh, Izawi, former player for top uh, fight side U.S. Monaster, Monaster and a father of four, published a video on Facebook in which he said the reason for his protest was being falsely accused of terrorism in the, vis uh, in the village of Hafuz, uh, Kirwan in the central. So it's a it's a village of Hafuz in the city of Kirwan, which is in central Tunisia. Um, news of his death sparked protests in the streets of Hafuz. And young demonstrators are hurling stones at police who responded with tear gas. <laughs> Izawi decided to make his protest against the police after officers accused him of terrorism when, and get this, he complained that he was unable to buy bananas for less than 10 uh, dinars, which is like $3.30 a kilogram, double the price set by the government. That's so um, wild. Yeah. Yeah. So he just like, he literally just made like a Facebook post or something. And they were like, you're, because he's like, you know, a person of note or whatever. They were like, you're inciting fucking, you know, unrest and whatever mm -hmm. bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development has said that Tunisia is experiencing its worst crisis in a generation, with inflation hovering around 11% and food becoming increasingly scarce. The Tunisian government has been negotiating with the IMF. For a $1.9 billion loan agreement, the country's budget deficit was aggravated by COVID-19 pandemic and the fallout from Russia's war in Ukraine. Fuck the IMF for the record. Sophie's not here. So what do we say about the IMF? The IMF should be destroyed. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Uh, is it is it? Izawi's uh, protest recall that of the street vendor Mohammed Bouazizi, who burned himself to death in December 17, 2010, sparking the Tunisian revolution that was the trigger for the Arab Spring uprisings. Um, in a Facebook post shortly before his fatal action, Izawi said, quote, for a dispute with someone selling bananas at 10 dunars, I get accused of terrorism at the police station. Terrorism for a complaint about bananas. He also said he had sentenced himself to, quote, death by fire. I have no more energy. Let the police state know that the sentence will be executed today, he wrote. Yeah, so wow. I, think, I have like, no idea. Yeah, this is this just... Oh, so hectic, right? Like, <sighs> I, think, I think this is a really good example of um how in terms of people bearing the biggest brunt of the material conditions that capitalism just makes worse and worse and worse um you know glo mm -hmm. like you know we're talking global neoliberalism and, and imperialist hegemony um you know the 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 states who are empowered um you know by the very notion that states are, are legitimate um will will just basically just keep trying to prevent people from complaining about anything to the point where it gets so extreme um that people are 
so exhausted, tired, done with it, that they feel like something like this is the only option. And, um, you know, huge, massive respects uh, and, 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 you know, uh, to to his owie and, and obviously like condolences to uh, to his family as well because I think uh, you know and, and huge solidarity <clears throat> to the people of Tunisia because you know this is this is the very very it's one of the best examples unfortunate horrific examples um, of what neoliberalism is doing to people like in in the imperial yeah, periphery yeah. right and so even like so he complained about the the bananas costing ten uh, ten dinars but. The government said that, you know, like the government has said, like, this is how much they should cost. And it was half that. And it's like wild that they, <clears throat> you know, like you would think that a, a, a just government would be like, wow, this guy's right. Like we've we've kind of, you know, we've we've said that this is how much bananas should cost. But, you know, they're obviously not. Um, but We've covered we've covered what's happening over there before and like the huge cost of living crisis and stuff. Um, and I think that like, yeah, one thing that really sticks out to me with this one particularly is that um, <clears throat> normally when you see people um, performing acts like this in protest, like, um, yeah, whether it's self-immolation or, you know, like something else that is like quite, um, you know, like. Yeah, like self um, strike stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, like <clears throat> something like that. It's usually someone who is like poor and you know doesn't really have much else to do. You know, like a lot of the time with yeah, you know, like especially with self immolation and stuff, or like um something that you know like is like an act of suicide. Basically, um, it's yeah often someone that it feels like they don't really have any recourse or whatever, and so to see it not coming from like you know, just like a small shop owner or a bus driver or something like that, like a professional football player that is like extremely well known, you know, to be making, mm. to doing this uh, really shows how, mm -hmm. you know, like he, he had, he basically felt like this was, you know, like the, the only recourse, you know, like this is a, what, the best way that he could kind of like, you know, make this statement. I think that also highlights the disparity between like imperial core nations, imperial periphery nations too. Like Tunisia's, you know, one of one of one of their top footballers, you know, resorted to to something, you know, like this because you know so underpaid and and you know not actually like able to survive. You know that that's like the flip side of that in the imperial core is Marcus Rashford, who was able to use his platform to accurately like detail how the government is starving kids in the UK. So it's like, that's the privilege that footballers have in this country versus, you know what I mean? In, in mm -hmm. terms of like the way that things are in, in imperial periphery companies, which companies, countries, they're the same thing anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, <laughs> you, you, essentially it's obviously important to remember as well that the reason imperial peripheries are, are forced to act this way is because of the IMF as was detailed by Kira in that story. Um, you know, because it's it's just yeah it's it's absolute horrific imperialist yeah. and we and we passion. we i feel like we speak about this every week but um just for anyone wondering the whole deal you know because it says here like oh yeah they're you know looking for a loan with the imf that sounds good you know like a way to get 
some money or whatever. But the the whole deal is that, um, you know, a lot of people refer to this as like um, neocolonialism. There's, you know, like there's a lot of writing on it, like um, Kwame Nkura, Nkura, Nkruma. I don't know. Um, it's been like probably a decade since I read it. But um, uh, he wrote a lot about this. And so the IMF will often do things like um, set like they'll give a loan to a country, but the conditions that they set to pay back the loan are pretty hard. So it's like, so the, yeah, the repayments will be pretty steep, but also it's like to get this loan, we need you to do the following things. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's obviously often a way for the, yeah, uh, the IMF, which is like largely kind of like in line with the global hegemony set by like, you know, like America and the UK and all this kind of stuff, um, you know, to it's, it's beneficial for them to do things, I guess, um, to set conditions in line with the global neoliberal project that would say, you know, like, um, so a lot of the time it's forcing austerity on their people, um, which makes them even more kind of, I guess, like financially exploitable, uh, all kinds of stuff, um, you know, like basically like, you know, like there's been countries before that have basically been like, okay, cool to do this. You have to, you know, like alter your, um, alter the laws in your country in a certain way that makes cheap production for the imperial core possible in your country sort of thing. So, you know, like massive financial, uh, mass massive economic overhauls and stuff, which not just for the terms of like the loan or anything like that, but like, definitely change their place, you know, like, uh, like removing production of things for their own country to production for things in the Imperial periphery to the Imperial core, stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's, and it's, I always, it's really um, I always imagine like a sort of, you know, bureaucratic, uh, sort of like scene where, you know, a paper, an application for like funding from the IMF, like goes from an Imperial company, uh, an Imperial country and, and uh, sorry, Imperial periphery country. Um, and, uh, you know, goes to application for the IMF and it comes back with a big red stamp letter saying to socialist. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's basically what happens a lot of the time. You know, it's like, oh, you've got too many workers protections. You've got too many, uh, you know, yeah, guarantees. Yeah, 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 totally. And um, yeah, it's the kind of thing that, you know, like they can take one of these loans and they can do some stuff and it will increase the quality of life for some people, but then drastically decrease the quality of life for a lot of people as well. So it's like when you're already at, at kind of like the starvation point, it's um, yeah, it's, it can be really bad. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's not, it's not a way for anyone. It's not a way for a nation to, kind of get out of the hole it's just kind of like temporarily kind of you know um like delaying the inevitable but putting more power in the hands of other people to kind of um the you know dictate what goes on instead of the hands of the actual working class people of the country which um you know like i would say is like working class uprisings are the real way to get out of that kind of um situation i would say but um, yeah, obviously with uh, a good plan and everything like that, like um, the problem is that a lot of these times um, there are, you know, you do get um, reactionary groups kind of, you know, staging coups and things like that, like military junters that uh, can often, yeah, like generally sway towards 
reactionary politics. But um, yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully something um, good happens in Tunisia, Tunisia um, because, yeah, it's been pretty hard for them lately. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, we should um, probably move on. We've got one more news article and then we'll actually start talking about the topic of the day. Um, so the last one here is, um, I can't pronounce How it. How do you pronounce um, it, Mule? Yeah, Mule. The, Sorry, um, um, uh, uh, the French uh, president. Emmanuel. Macron. Emmanuel Macron. Macron. <laughs> I hope that's not like, does that count as racism when you like put on like, no. Fake no, accent, the French yeah. the French had colonies. The the you know yeah 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 no it's fuck it's like it's not racism when I go cheeky little stream. No, that's yeah, not yeah, racism. Yeah. Like yeah, you absolutely like racism. That's actually what's the British what's um so racism when is when you like you know you say bad things about um you know like a, a racialized group, but you know right. like the idea of it being like um you know like you can't be racist against white people because it's like you know like they they have you know, no like race they set the hegemony yeah. sort of thing whatever like that yeah. it's like yeah you know and it's like and white white is like more like a um a concept than like a you know um and well, well, social category than you know yeah. like a set of um indicators or whatever so what is the name for racism like when you say Just racism against, like, a against white person. people but as like a good thing, you know, because racism implies bad. But like when we're talking about the good yeah. racism against British people, <laughs> well, exactly, it's not actually sad. racism, is it? It's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's qualified awesome. criticism. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, just like it's you know, just, just, yeah. it's just the truth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, it's anti-imperialism when you do it. It's but, so um, we can make these jokes yeah. because we have British people on Red Planet. As I've hosts, given so them all the broadcast. So, I have British friends. I can say this. Neil is my British friend. Um, yeah, present yeah. right now. As a, as a mixed race individual, I'm allowed. I've got many passes, so I can talk shit. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So yeah, so, Tim, Sam, tell you pri- us. Privilege. Yeah, anyway. yeah, tell, yeah, us, yeah. <laughs> tell us about what Macron's been up to. What is um, Macron been up to? Um, French President Emmanuel Macron. Macron. has um, has signed his controversial pension reform into law so that's we've been covering this for months now you know keep updating like people have been riding in the streets because they've wanted to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64 and um there's a bunch of other stuff as well including like um like determining how many years you have to have been working to be able to qualify for a pension as well right um so yeah so they signed them in even after like you've probably all seen the videos and photos of the rioting in the streets uh you know like skirmishes against the police and everything like that and they just you know they just did it anyway <laughs> and um Macron basically just signed it in and it was just like like you know no you know like we've already committed this is what we're gonna do um so the alterations became law on Saturday after the text was published overnight in France's official journal. It's followed the approval on Friday by France's highest constitutional court of the essence of the legislation, including the banner change of raising the retirement age from 62 to 64. Opponents of the changes say they penalize women and unskilled workers who started their careers early and undercut the right to a long re- retirement. 
Unions called for mass Labor Day protests on May the 1st, and some violent demonstrations erupted in several cities overnight after the verdict was announced. The nine-membered Constitutional Council ruled in favor of key provisions of the reform, including raising the retirement age to 64 and extending the years of work required, required for a full pension, saying the legislation was in, in accordance with French law. So yeah, so it's interesting to me that this is like, yeah, uh, a nine-member court <laughs> versus like, I think they said like two out of three um, French citizens supported um, the the protesters, you know? So two-thirds of the public were against this. Um, so that's about um, um, 40 million people yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's wild so um yeah you know but then nine people who themselves um i'm gonna go out on a limb and say they will not require they they will not um they they won't rely on the money from a pension yeah they got when they do retire yeah exactly you know like um so nine probably already quite rich people don't who aren't going to be affected by this have made that decision for the entirety of France. Um, six minor proposals were rejected, including including forcing large companies to publish how many over 55s they employ and the creation of a spe- special contract for older workers. So yeah, so six different like little kind of things, people being like, well, okay, what if we do this as well? What if we do this? You know, like to kind of give some kind of protections for older workers so um yeah so um the president's approval ratings are near their lowest levels ever and many voters have been outraged by his decision to ram the pensions law through parliament without a vote using a legal but controversial mechanism denounced by opponents as anti-democratic so yeah so that's the thing right it's like there so there was some kind of like legal I guess, like, I don't know, like a loophole or whatever that allowed them to put this through without actually having a vote on it. And, you know, like, people were like, oh, well, it's not really, you know, it's not fair for you to do this where it's going to affect everybody without doing a proper vote, like, you know, some kind of referendum or whatever like that. And they were like, well, no, we're going to use this little special mechanism anyway. So, um, yeah, polls consistently show that two out of three French people are against working a further two years. Macron has called the change necessary to avoid annual pension deficits forecast at $13.5 billion, uh, by 2030, according to government figures. So that's 13.5 billion euros. Um, and yes, yeah, so that's the thing, right? Like, they've decided that this is the only way to avoid the pension deficit. But well, that's the way that they say. But other people have um, submitted alternative uh, plans, which, you know, have been things like, you know, like um, like taxing corporate profits and things like that. You know, like all the people, like the corporations that um, are in the upper tier that benefit from all the people working should help contribute to, you know, their retirement because, you know, people have spent their entire lives, you know, slaving away working for them. But um yeah, even the Prime Minister, Elizabeth Bourne, tweeted after the verdict that there are no winners or losers, but the left-wing Liberation Daily said in its highlight headline above a picture of a, of a protest, not defeated, opponents of the reform are not going to disarm. So yeah, so the Liberation Daily, um, obviously, you know, like saying the battle's not over, whereas the established 
kind of like, you know, the establishment politicians are going like, oh, well, you know, no winners or losers here. We're, we're all, you know, we're all French at the end of the day or whatever, whatever it is. Um, whereas I don't think the, the vibe on the street is the same. So bikes, e-scooters and garbage were set on fire in the capital overnight while protests rallying hundreds erupted in other cities, including Maasai and Toulouse and the western city of Rennes. Protesters set fire to the entrance of a police station and a conference center. Paris police said 112 people had been arrested as of 10.30 p.m. local time. An estimated 380,000 people took to the streets nationwide on Thursday and the latest day of union-led action, according to the Interior Ministry, a small fraction of the nearly 1.3 million who demonstrated at the height of the protests in March. So we'll see how that goes, though, because... um, so usually when you know a big protest kicks off there's like a huge swell initially and then it dies off a little bit over time as you know the actions are sustained but i think with this actually going into law now and then planning in a couple of weeks this may day this first of may protest i think you know we might see like a renewed vigor maybe even more people than initial um than the initial protests coming out So yeah, speaking of that, the unions issued a joint statement urging Macron not to sign the legislation into law, saying the issue was not finished. The General Secretary of the CGT Union, Sophie Benet, called for a popular and historic tidal wave of people on the streets to oppose the reforms on 1st of May. So um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, pretty huge bummer for them to just slam it through anyway. But hopefully, hopefully this gets people out on the streets. Um, I know that, so the CGT union, they're the, the big based French union that we've talked about a couple of times who they have been around for a long time. They used to have membership in the millions, but they've, you know, steadily kind of like tapered off over the years. Um, they were formed initially when all the trade unionists, communists and anarchists in France all got together and they were like, let's make one big, you know, union together to actually challenge the status quo Mm -hmm. um and they were super successful they've been around forever um but apparently since this has kicked off their membership is starting to go back up so it would be great to see um them kind of you know back on top smash it and um, um, yeah yeah like oh sorry tim go on i was gonna say and this something like this um usually can be a really good rallying point for that like um as much as it sucks i think um that it is kind of like um, moments like these that really kind of galvanize a lot of people um, into yeah into uh, becoming radicalized in the good way uh, so yeah mm-hmm. yeah I've I've uh, there's been a lot of um, underhanded tactics from the cops as well um, you know 1312 is a fantastic interesting number um, and it would be funny if everybody just wrote that number in the Twitch and YouTube chats uh, just for no reason whatsoever. But I think that um, it's important to point out that like, you know, the state is trying all kinds of tactics to suppress these protests. I've seen uh, undercover 
uh, uh, cops uh, arrest people, arrest protesters on uh, Popular Front, uh, which is a social media account that we talk about quite a lot on the show. Popular Front, pretty good at covering stuff all over the world in terms of, uh, you know, revolutionary-based activities and stuff. Um, And, um, yeah, so uh, just sort of these kind of, like, escalations of police violence as well. Uh, You know, we've seen riot police uh, brutalise protesters. um, And, you know, we do... We do see like, you know, more intense protest uh, tactics from the French. But again, you know, they are not directed towards people, um, whereas the state violence is, Mm -hmm. you know. So that's that's something that you uh, really must remember when when looking at this stuff and looking at the the way that the state fights back against this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, um, It is really interesting as well that um, so they're raising it from 62 to 64 um so yeah you know obviously that's that seems like only two years but it's that's a huge amount of time that you're still in the workforce you're still paying taxes you're still contributing to you know like your pension fund all that kind of stuff um making money for companies and stuff so that's you know like it is quite a lot of time it's and it's a lot of time to be working on your feet and stuff but also like the french pension age is lower than like (laughs) most other places around anyway so it's kind of like it's yeah. well because it's like you know seeing them turn out for this and then looking at it in new zealand it's like 65 like it's probably similar over there you know i think um, it's yeah 60 60 i can't remember we, we cover this go go and listen to a past episode if you want to know what it is in the uk i've forgotten i think it's about 67 they want to increase it to 68 or something uh meanwhile the americans are like what's a pension I don't think I'll survive that long because of healthcare, you know. So, um, yeah, very, very sort of privileged over here in the in, in mm-hmm. Europe regarding that. Mm-hmm. So, um... I was literally, I've been literally, uh, like I said earlier, like trying to go out in the dating world and stuff, and talking to normies, and it's not an, it's not unfortunately in America, and it's not an uncommon thing that I found that like a lot of people in my age group are like, yeah, I just hope I die early, and I don't have to like. You know, like it's 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 yeah. like they're like people that are existing and they're like they're out there trying to date and they're clearly like in, engaging with life, but they really just have no con. They just are like, yeah, I just hope I just don't have to exist <laughs> like that long because no, so uh, like, even normies can tell that like like what they're already struggling. Like people in my age group don't have houses. Like we're already getting squeezed out of being able to afford anything with the choose between food or rent or so on and so forth. It's kind of like that thing where it's like people are starting to wake up to that, where it's like, you know, they can fall into that kind of um, like the doomerism or it's like, you know, or you can get out there and set fire to some cop cars you know so um yeah. i think that like, it's our like um kind of responsibility which we would never like... advocate for for the record here at red planet we notice it when it happens some people yeah. do that yes. to cop cars and it breaks our heart to see it but we are always going to be here to tell you when it happens <laughs> exactly yeah. but um so yeah i think it's like as, as you know like as people that are like you know politically aware politically conscious or whatever like that you know it, it, it does but kind of it becomes a responsibility to you know like when you hear your friends talking about you know stuff like that to be like hey well you know like um you know like uh if they're in an industry that is unionized be like hey well you know maybe you should look into this you know joining a union or whatever like that or if they're not in an industry that's not unionized maybe there's something that they can do there um and just try and kind of um 
you know, get them get them red pilled on that there could be a future, but it is something that we really have to kind of like get out there and build with our hands, literally, you know. So um yeah, so it can be it can be hard. Like I definitely know a lot of people, especially people that you know are disabled who have a lot of fears about how they're gonna how they're gonna fare. Um sort of, you know, like in the years, I guess like, you know, the last few decades of their life um and it's yeah and it is kind of scary to think about but um yeah I think it's like it's a thing um it's part of the the prerogative for um people to kind of like I guess like um you know like a lot of people say that thing of like oh it's like you know not my job to educate people or whatever like that whereas I feel like for a lot of stuff like this it absolutely like it kind of is. is our job it is you know like when you see people going like oh man like you know there's no houses we can't do this blah blah blah, like that and it's mm-hmm. kind of like this really defeated kind of attitude or whatever yeah. whereas like I think that you know we can go like oh well hey you know um in this country they're doing this you know in France mm-hmm. they're doing this in in China they did this or whatever you know and just um kind of uh you know like help people see uh, that a better world is possible and um yeah I think you kind of you do need to kind of like temper your I guess um temper the way that you're explaining it because especially if they're kind of like kind of normie or whatever like you don't want to just be like well in China this man (laughs) called Chairman Mao (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he, he did some crazy stuff oh wow yeah this is something but, i'm working um, on because like i need to figure out how to do it like you do it tim because tim talks to a lot of people as a tattoo artist that are like normies or even a little maybe maybe even a little more radicalized the wrong direction the thing is about tim's profession is that you know the reason he gets to to get these these education moments in is because of the implication isn't it because if, if, you, if you're strapped into a chair with a man with a with a, a an incredibly fast needle uh you know i don't know i don't actually think there is that like i don't think there is that like kind of like i guess like threat implicit to there it. is there is but, um, there's an implicit but also threat. he's he's tim is is coded as like a cool yeah right? i think that's or more of the he... thing like it's like people are more inclined to be like oh uh, you know like there's this you know like especially with with dudes who are like yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like trying to be like you know macho dude or whatever like joe rogan dudes you know when they come into the shop and stuff and yeah, they think like right. oh this is a guy that has like tattoos on his head so um like he's not like you know he doesn't have he's not he a have blue hair and pronoun he's not soy, soy boy yeah yeah, yeah. yeah there is there but, is like there is like uh that's the i think obviously i was joking before so yeah of course, there's no implication like you know a tattoo gun is not going to be able to hurt anybody uh, beyond what it actually does hurt yeah. um in terms of like <laughs> in terms of like um um you know um uh, uh, having that privilege as, as a masculine person, like I find that quite often as well. Like I have literally had my uh, stepdad say to me that I'm not one of those kinds of lefties before. And I do just think that that is because I'm a man that's quite masculine. Like I've got a beard, I've got a bald head, you know what I mean? I I, I work out and shit. So I think it's, it's you, you, we should be using these privileges that we have to educate people because unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, you know, the way that these power structures hold, hold, hold people up is, uh, uh, the, sorry, hold the system up, uh, you know, they, they will only listen to masculine people or, or men in general, yeah. And it, mm-hmm. is, it is kind of funny that, um, you know, like there is that, 
there is that kind of um you know like i guess like stereotype of you know like the um i guess like the the lefty feminist type or whatever like that and then when you look at like the history of like you know like uh communists like yeah like um thomas sankara Che Guevara, Fidel Castro, all these people like that. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, man, like a lot of these guys had what the, you know, like what the alpha male dudes wish they had, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. like the the alpha based Chad that doesn't believe mm-hmm. in the concept of the alpha based Chad. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, this anyway, is getting a little bit. Yeah. We're, we're the off the rails. So if you, anyway. We don't have guests today, chat, so we're really taking liberties here to just just to sit back <laughs> and to and to really just have a relaxing <laughs> a Red Planet episode. But um should we proceed? Yep. yep. Shall we? Yeah, we um we decided today that we because we don't have a guest, so we were just like let's let's just do something more like a general kind of um conversation education kind of episode. Um and so we this week we're gonna talk about boycotts. Um we're gonna start by talking about like uh, like what it is or what well, what they are. Um, go over some examples from history of mm-hmm. successful boycotts and um i guess even go into like what is happening these days with the way that boycotts have changed over the years and with social media and stuff like that so um i think it's so funny the origin of what of what boycott means because it only was up until like so embarrassingly recently like we discovered this or we discovered this together on stream like two months ago where we Google boycott, I was like, it's not just like a word that's part of the English language. It's named after Captain Boycott. <laughs> <laughs> his, name, his name is Captain Boycott. And it was like, <laughs> it's, yeah. So we'll, we'll explain it all in a second, but I love that it was for kind of like, it's kind of like this guy that they were yeah. kind of protesting and they took his name and they put him on it. Yeah. It's just a guy, just what a little guy. What a legacy guy. to be like, oh, eternally like unliked guy that's when we say the word boycott everyone's like oh yeah we hate that guy that's why we're all getting together to do this imagine being his descendant the boycott you know you'd be like oh yeah that is that is the will let's have a mule oh yeah yeah. Yeah. so it's um, the opposite of boycott we all come together and give hugs that's exactly it that's exactly what i want to be remembered for (laughs) so anyway let's um let's get into this i've written some notes here and um we'll just go through each little bit and we'll you know like have a little talk when you know when when it's pertinent um so the term boycott originates from the name of an irish land agent captain charles boycott who was hired by a british landlord in ireland in the late 1800s so this is you know, like obviously Ireland famously kind of under the boot of England and always pushing back sort of thing. Um, so yeah, British landlord owned a bunch of farms and stuff in Ireland. And um, so Captain Boycott, Boycott was hired um, to, to collect the rent from all these, you know, all these um, farmers that were renting out the land. So um, Captain Boycott was responsible for collecting rent from Irish farmers who were struggling due to a severe crop failure. So yeah, the crops failed. Um, they were struggling to, to get the harvest to sell, to make the money to rent. 
And so when they were unable to pay the rents, they organized a nonviolent protest against Boycott by refusing to work for him, speak to him, or do any business with him. So basically just ice him out. So, you know, he'd come around and then just, you know, keep whistling and walk right past. And um, so, yeah, so this protest against Captain Boycott became known as a boycott. And the term has since been used to describe a collective and voluntary refusal to engage in commercial or social relations with a person, group, or organization as a form of protest or coercion. So, yeah, so it was amazing. Like, they would just ignore him. He'd, you know, like, whenever he was around, like, you know, he'd go into a shop or something and if the owner was supporting the boycott or whatever they'd just pretend he wasn't there I and love say, that you know we're not so dealing much. with you um That's so, so yeah as a community they all got together and they were just like you know get it get out of here i'm not actually sure if he was british or irish though um it would i mean be... it, when is this from the the 1800s there's, there's every chance that this um you know was a, a British person, you know, the the the, co- the colonial attitudes uh, uh, from colonists in Ireland have always been really, really bad. So I imagine if it was a British landlord in Ireland, he, w- he probably hasn't wasn't hired, uh, didn't hire an actual Irish person. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so we've got Chloe in the chat also pointing out that this was like thirty years after the Great Potato Famine, famine where le- uh, landlordism and liberal economics literally killed millions. Um, yes, yeah, so it's like. Uh, the group that kind of organized this and kind of took, you know, went on from this was the uh, Irish uh, National Land League, which I think just became the Irish Land League or whatever. And so it was like, absolutely, like, it was very much to do with that. It was like, you know, like, um, they had been kind of fucked over by the English before. And, you know, obviously, there's always like an anti-English sentiment in any kind of, um, in any of the colonies or whatever. But, um, yeah, so absolutely, absolutely tied into the um, yeah, the great old yeah. What's a, there's a, there's another name for it, not the potato famine. They say that like there's um a more respectful name that I think is in in Irish that um is you know like refers to it as like the great um the great suffering or something like that. And um yeah, it kind of the great potato famine kind of like. I think makes it seem like it was just like, oh no, the potatoes didn't grow or something like that. When actually it was like a huge thing with like, you know, like there was like a lot of um, political action from, from England that, um, you know, that fully uh, that enabled that and forced it to happen, you know? Yeah. The great hunger and Gordon Moore. So, yeah. So it's, um, yeah more than just like a you know like a bad harvest or anything like that it was like mm-hmm. it was like a deliberate kind of like uh a deliberate i would say genocidal action uh as a as a way of political repression and punishment uh, uh to the irish from england so um yeah so in modern usage, the term boy- boycott is often used to refer to a specific type of consumer protest where individuals or groups refuse to purchase or use products or services from a particular company or industry. Boycotts are often motivated by a desire to bring about social or political change, and they can be initiated by individuals, organizations, or social movements. 
Uh, boycotts can have a significant impact on the targeted company or industry, often resulting in financial losses and damage to reputation. They can also serve as a means of raising awareness about a particular issue and promoting public debate and discussion. Yeah, so to sum up, boycott started out as a way to peacefully protest against someone like Captain Boycott, and now they're a way for people to band together and try to change things by not supporting certain companies or industries. I can't so, get over Captain Boycott. I, yeah, I know. It's wild. Eh? It's like, imagine that being your legacy onto the world. Like, people just were like, uh, fuck this it's guy like in Captain particular. Captain Dipshit or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's, um, that is funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I think so, um, that one of the one of the reasons that I um, sort of thought this would be a good topic for this week is because, of course, uh, you know, we've seen uh, a certain type of person, um, you know, extremely mad at a certain uh, company, um, and uh, you know what 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 they're doing is uh, they're basically they're calling it a boycott, uh, but what's actually happening is they're buying lots and lots of a certain type of beer um and then just oh right yeah like um you know like when all those people went out and burnt all their nike shoes and stuff and like yeah or they were like buying them to burn them and like all the people bought all the dixie chicks albums and burnt them there as well it's like (laughs) yeah yeah, it's wild thinking it's like well you just yeah you don't really get it do you (laughs) (laughs) yeah and, and so this is like a very good opportunity for us to highlight um you know effective boycotts and uh you know actual things that will 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 affect uh you know cor- corporations or individuals who are yeah uh, yeah we should just people. talk about that a little because i'm still not super like sure on what the situation is right but so there was like basically <laughs> which so... shows how much of a terrible boycott it is right i know yeah, like, so... i don't know either honestly i just know like i saw something yeah i saw something yes. on twitter where there was like a car that was driving by like a bud light factory and the passenger just did the middle finger Ooh. and like there was a <laughs> car behind that was like this man has been flick, like flipping off the bud light factory the entire time and it's like <laughs> Is this something? What is this? Praxis, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's praxis for him. So basically, um, from what I know, and I'm pretty certain this is correct because they all seem to be going on about it. I've tangentially absorbed a bit of this. Yeah, I've seen a little bit. And and, and I think uh, the long and short of it is that Bud Light... <clears throat> did a partnership with uh, Dylan Mulvaney. And if you don't know who Dylan Mulvaney is, she's a, uh, a prominent public figure who is trans. Uh, and she does a lot of work to sort of like show uh, her transition and, you know, show the, the not just the trans youth of America, but transgender people and, you know, potential cis allies everywhere that like, you know, this this is what it's like actually to be a trans I think person. like the interesting um, thing is that I I'd never heard of her. And so many of my trans friends have said the same thing being like, before this we had never heard of her we had no idea who she was and now she's like far more famous than she was beforehand because of all the people that have come out and support like yeah she might have like you know like probably lost like some followers initially or something like that but she's you know i think i think the the thing to highlight here is that because this is something that people said about hogwarts legacy right we did a show on that with nicotine me and me and kira and in terms of people you know a lot of the reactionary figures in that particular boycott were saying oh well i'm just gonna buy hogwarts legacy now i didn't know this game existed you're doing loads of free advertising for it um and but i don't know how you could support the bud light boycott because if you don't know who dylan mulvaney is 
and you aren't a, an automatic reactionary kind of person, you're just a normie, and you say, well, what has this Dylan Mulvaney person done? And then you look at her social media, and it's all just her being really happy and having a nice life and just being a really positive kind of person with, like, no... There, there is literally no... I, when I look at, like, Dylan Mulvaney's content and things she said, there's, like, no negative shit there. Like, she doesn't even get mad at stuff. She just, she just like, you know, talks about her trans joy. Oh, so um, she's a trans... She's a trans woman. Yeah, she's a she's a trans woman. So she's like a, a trans prominent... woman that exists and is not like yeah, just yeah. sobbing all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, like, yeah. The wild thing is that it's like it's not like and like it's such a minor thing as well. Like, so she did a sponsor. You know, like influencers will do like a sponsored post with a brand or whatever. So on That's literally her what Instagram she did, page, yeah. they sent her some shit. Like they sent her like a, a custom can or something like that. And she was on her page being like, thanks, Bud Light, or whatever like that. And so they're acting like, you know, like that it was this massive thing that they're trying to shove it down their throats or whatever like that. But it's like, you only would have seen it if you were already following her online. Like, otherwise, you've gone yes. out of your way. Like to shove it down your own throat you know it's exactly funny. it's actually it's, like yeah. what they accuse leftists of doing all the time which is finding things to be offended about mm-hmm. but they're actually doing it themselves like they've gone out of their who way who would have expected that little turntable situation yeah, yeah. <laughs> the company that brews a bud light and 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 Bush or whatever it is are actually like a huge republican donor as well um and they like sponsor like so much stuff even like fucking like joe rogan and stuff like that so it's like really funny now where it's like the culture war shit has gone on beyond like it's all in the you know like the just the random people or whatever and the, a lot of republicans and you know other reactionary figures are trying to like push back and being like whoa 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 everyone's getting a little out of control and it's like you made this you know mm-hmm. but um yeah. Yeah. One of the interesting things I thought was like everyone was like, oh damn, you know, Bud Light's gay now. Like, <laughs> Bud Light, Bud Light got the gay. It's, you know, um, but it's funny because Bud Light is like, Bud Light has been gay. Bud Light has been yeah. gay for a long time. That's if you right. know anything about the history of like, you know, like queer, like legal protests and stuff in, you know, in the history of America and stuff. Um, there was so way back in the day, this would have been like in the 60s or something like that, because there was some policy that they implemented at their breweries or whatever like that, asking about your sexual orientation or something like that. So people pushed back and they were like, this is actually, you know, like this is, you know, irrelevant. Like your employer shouldn't know anything about, it should have nothing to do with them. And this is a time when, you know, like, this was it was like a really hot button issue you know it's like it's the same as like what we're seeing with like the trans panic now at the time it was like the gay panic is this the um, is this the 1977 cause beer boycott uh, i think this was even before that is it before that but um yeah so um yes so uh and it was a uh, one of the best things is that it was like Harvey Milk himself was like the the lawyer that took it on and stuff. Yes, and so um yeah, basically he went around and got um him and a group of others and stuff went around to all the gay bars and stuff and stopped getting them to um, stop cause. And so they all stopped. Um, a bunch of other people kind of got really shitty, and because yeah, cause uh, I think they were always like a non-union brewery as well. 
Bud Light at the time, though. I don't know if Stiller's was a unionized brewery, though. And um, so uh, a bunch of other breweries kind of, I guess, like in solidarity with Coors, like would stop, stop stocking or stopped selling their beers to gay bars and stuff or anyone that was part of this boycott except for Bud Light and Bud Light were always like, nah, fuck it, you know, like, you know. And uh, so it's really funny that, you know, after all of this time or whatever like that, people are thinking that like, this is a new thing. Like they made the beer woke. They they made the beer political or whatever <laughs> like that. It's like, no, like this has always been, there's always been a battleground here or whatever. Um, you I know. think so, um, yeah. I think one of the the funny things about it all as well is that you get a lot of people not just saying, you know, fuck Bud Light or like, you know, I, I'm, I'm boycotting Bud Light. They, they specifically say I'm boycotting Anheuser-Busch. And Anheuser-Busch is this huge parent company of all these different beers. And we are talking like hundreds of different types of beers. Like if you look at like uh uh anheuser but like uh, sorry uh, not anheuser anheuser bush um you know th- there's there's so many like if you look at like what they own so just like a a, a a quick list here uh budweiser corona stella artois bex lef hogarden uh bud light skull brahma um and some of these ones i'm not too sure but our international audience might know them uh, antarctica kilns uh, victoria modelo especial uh mitchell Ultra, harbin cedrin you know there's so many um you know beers under the anusa bush um, um parent company there's absolutely no way um that there's going to be you know any kind of uh, 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 possibility to boycott all these brands. It's just completely uh, impossible. There's also um, like, yeah, there's other stuff as well. Like they've um, had a history of like, there was the ultra right kind of like went against uh, Bud Light a while back as well. They found out that it was like, um, oh, what was it? It was like, there was, there was some kind of um, thing with another beer that um, like, there was a protest of a bunch of rabbis against, I think it was against Coors. And they, um, they found out that um, I think Bud Light, like there's something about the management or whatever like that, that they, I think Coors were like forcing employees to work during Passover or something like that. Right. And Bud Light were like, no, like fuck that, you know, it's there. They should have the time off or whatever. So then all of the, you know, like the Jewish community and even like, you know, the, the Hasidic Jews and everything like that were just like, Bud Light only from now on, you know, like Bud Light's the only, the only beer. And um, so they just searched, but then obviously the ultra right were like, it's the Jew beer, you know? So, um, so there's like, yeah, it's always been a thing. It's God, weird. so much around such a shitty tasting beer. I know, I like, <laughs> like to be honest, like all light beer tastes the same to me. And like yeah. when I, whenever I've been in the States, it's weird that like, it seems like all, everyone drinks light beer over there. Whereas like over here, it's like, light beer is like a very like it's like a a small section of what you know people drink or whatever and Mm -hmm. even like historically it's always been like considered like light beer is like the weak beer that you know like you'd never get like as a as a red-blooded male you'd never get caught drinking a light beer you yeah. know, that's like the kind of the it's quite funny because it. they, they would say it's gay. Like, you know, if if you're like at a bar, if you're like at a bar, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a Bud Light, I'm gonna have a cause light, and they'd be like, What are you gay? You know, that's like a legitimate thing that's said been said to me before. Like, yeah. That's when you take their hand and you hold it and you start stroking and go, Yes, I am. You kiss them. Well, that's what you then do. you kiss you them on the lips, good kiss, yes, I'm you go, gay. I love you. <laughs> I love you, comrade. 
<laughs> I love you, comrade. Let's have gay sex after drinking like this. That's exactly what happens. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then when we've done that, um, we then um, have some delightful pillow talk about historical boycotts. Yeah, um, nice segue. Yeah. So we've got um, a bunch of examples here of like kind of big historical ones. There's like so many to choose from, though. There's like so, so, so many. Um, but um, yes, yeah, so a big one uh, was the Monga- Montgomery bus boycott, which most people probably know about. So um, the Montgomery bus boycott was a civil rights protest that lasted for over a year in Montgomery, Alabama. The boycott began on December 1st, 1955, after Rosa Parks was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on a bus to a white passenger. African-American citizens in Montgomery organized a boycott of the city's buses, refusing to ride them until they were integrated. The boycott lasted for 381 days and was marked by protests, arrests, and violent attacks against protesters. In November 1956, the Supreme Court declared segregated buses unconstitutional and the boycott ended. The Montgomery bus boycott was a significant victory for the civil rights movement and marked the beginning of a new phase of the struggle for racial equality in the United States. So that's like not only so they yeah they kept that up that's like over a year you know about like 13 months or 14 months or so and um so that actually ended in the supreme court declaring segregated buses unconstitutional so that's like you know unconstitutional is like across the entire united states you know which um which is like a pretty big win you know like mm-hmm. um so that's but it's important know, like, to note that it wasn't like boycott that lasted like two seconds and that did not lead to anything else outside of the boycott that, that led to that uh, legislative change. It was the boycott, which was by the way, a very long one, but it spurred a lot of like the ripple effects expanded beyond that. And I just point this out because of the way that liberals approach And Whenever the liberals talk about boycotts, they talk about like voting with your dollar and stuff, which is, you know, and then they're like, that's the way you do change. You just shut up. You, you keep your head down, you stay polite and civil, and then you just quietly buy things, <laughs> which is not the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and so, um, so, and another one that we have here is the United Farm Workers Grape Boycott. So this is one that was like a little bit, it's a little bit more kind of obscure, but I thought it's an interesting one. So the United Farm Workers, UFW, Great Boycott was a labor protest that began in 1965 and lasted for five years. The UFW was a union for migrant farm workers in California who were predominantly Mexican-American. The boycott was aimed at growers who refused to recognize the union and provide better wages and working conditions for farm workers. The boycott was marked by protests, consumer boycotts, and negotiations with growers. In 1970, the UFW signed its first collective bargaining agreement with growers securing better wages and working conditions for farm workers. The Great Boycott was a significant story for the labor movement and for the rights of migrant farm workers. So this is interesting. So this is a five-year boycott where it's like, so these migrant workers, like you get this all over the place. Like, um, you know, I know it's like a super hot issue thing over in California, um, but we get it in New Zealand where people come in um, working from out in the islands and stuff, where it's like, they will kind of uh, move, go into another 
country or whatever to work there because of the you know like the job availabilities often get paid a lot less um because they're you know not american citizens they don't have a lot of the same legal protections and everything like that so a lot of the time it's kind of just like you do the job or you don't and you don't get paid or whatever there's not much kind of there's no there's not much recourse for bad bosses or anything like that like there's no um you know you can't really do too much about it like so they weren't even able to unionize because they weren't you know american workers or whatever so that was the whole thing with them getting um you know getting their first collective bargaining agreement with the growers because yeah so they were basically just being like okay you need us to to pick the fruit to pick the grapes and stuff to sell them but if we just boycott you if we say like okay cool you're not willing to negotiate none of us are going to work for you then those grapes are just going to fall off the vine you know like they're like that's it which um is you know which is like powerful because that threatens you know their actual kind of business and stuff and that's the same thing that's happened over here with um our um the rsc schemes where people come in from the islands and a lot of the time it's agricultural work and it's like these industries are often like these are the places where a lot of labor trafficking happens you know like a lot of people have these ideas of like human trafficking and labor trafficking being like this thing that's like you know these um like eastern european sex ring kind of things or whatever like that but when you actually look at it the, um, the statistics show that the majority of these things are in the agricultural and construction industry and these are workers that have very little protections you know it does yeah. still like, absolutely happen in the um in sex work as well though i'm just saying it's, it's, statistically it's, a, it's, it's yeah know, it's, it's a, a painfully it's a painfully mundane reality um trafficking in in terms of that like yeah because, i think like yeah. people get sucked into the idea of like the kind of like the really scandalous like idea of like you know like this idea of like white women getting abducted from the target parking lot and you know being forced into sex trafficking or whatever whereas like it is overwhelmingly like you know like um yeah like migrant workers from like yeah like in america it's mexican migrant workers over here it's like from the islands like fiji tonga um and you know like papua new guinea and stuff and even like um works from like the philippines and stuff uh coming down and working like construction contracts agricultural contracts for like wages that in their from where they're from it might be like oh yeah this is sweet this is a good you know good rate or whatever but over here it's 100 like you know it's pennies and they're getting exploited and um oftentimes they have to live in shitty makeshift accommodation and all this kind of stuff so yeah these guys back in the um in 1965 the united farm workers they had a similar thing where it's like they were going up to america they were making big money for their bosses they weren't getting paid much they didn't have any kind of benefits or anything like that so they just froze them out they were just like okay until you guys come to the table we're not gonna we're not gonna pick your grapes um and yeah the thing is it's like if if you spend you know like a year growing all these you know this fruit these vegetables whatever like that and it doesn't you know it doesn't get sold or whatever um you know you're kind of you're kind of screwed so uh, you gotta you know you gotta respect the people that are actually actually doing that picking for you um even though it's like it's considered like a you know it's uh they say it's like unskilled labor or whatever which is bullshit because you know it's like these people there are like 
there are skills necessary to doing this job, doing it fast and stuff. Like if you've ever seen like, you know, a lot of people that are working in the agricultural industry, like picking fruit and stuff, people that know what they're doing are so much more productive than just like an unskilled. It looks like magic. Yeah. It's, it's wild. <laughs> and like, yeah, like not bruising the fruit, all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, just, it's oh, wild. God. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. So I think about so that whenever I go grocery shopping and I see like a bag of like romaine lettuce or anything, I just visualize like, and I'm trying to do this. I, I do this with veganism when I see animal products, but now I'm trying to expand beyond that and not be like a liberal vegan that goes like, if I'm buying plant-based products, I don't have to think about anything. Like, no, you still need to think about shit, right? Um, of course, yeah. And so I think about like all the videos I've seen of, of like workers and fields and how they quickly do stuff and like, and, and and there's a there's a ton of conversation about like the exploitative uh, behavior, exploitative practices that are happening there. But we're talking just about the skills, like the like no one think like you really think about that when you when you're in, in buying food is so alienated away from like the laborers. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent. And it's like, man, like I, I bruise shit just putting it in the shopping <laughs> trolley. Like, well, I don't know, I don't know what it's like where you two uh, live, but in 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 the UK, certainly, people scrutinize vegetables when they buy them at the supermarket. Like, oh yeah, often. yeah, one hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like you'll pick up like like, and I, I'll do it as well. Do you know squeeze what I mean? an like, avocado. Yeah, squeeze an avocado, or like you know, pick up a, 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 some peppers and be like, oh, that one's a bit scuffed. You know what I mean? And it's like, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just we're, we're just completely brainwashed into being like, no, we have to have these like completely perfect cartoon versions of what you know. It's, yeah, it's, so it's, it has to look like the little the little icons from the Candy Crush game or some shit yeah. like that. You know, the little <laughs> perfect little melon. It's yeah. absurd. Yeah, it's completely and, and absurd. Thing, like you know like with like a lot of organic fruit and stuff you get it and it's like doesn't look so manicured or whatever and that's just the reality of what you know fruit and vegetables look mm-hmm. like but also it's like um over here i'm not sure it's like down there but because we export export the top quality kind of fruit and vegetable down here that's grown here so the stuff that we get in the supermarket isn't even like the top quality because it all gets kind of like see now if our, our government has deals with like china and stuff like that where they get a lot of their produce from us um and but so much of it is like okay there's like this stuff that gets sent out to export there's this stuff that gets goes to supermarkets and then if it's just like a little bit too bruised or a little bit even just like weird not perfectly colored or whatever like that it's just like disposed yeah and um gaskell garden project our uh, episode on that they spoke about that for sure yep yeah yeah and um there's i know there are people that are kind of um moving to kind of like create legislation around this over here i know france actually has a thing where the um supermarkets don't like they instead of throwing it out or if it's like sitting on the shelf or whatever instead of just letting it rot there they um have to donate like a certain portion of it and it goes to like you know like soup kitchens and like city mission and stuff like that so they can you know actually make it into food for people um i would love to see more of that kind of thing happening um down here but um yeah yeah, and there are there are companies that are actually um starting to fill that gap as well where they're like uh, there's one over here i think it's called like the ugly bunch or something like that and they will sell you like cheaper fruit because it's like a little bit uglier or whatever um which is like you know like when you create a gap in a market-based economy people are always going to fill that market i would love to see it more just like here's the fruit that we were going to throw out people should just take it but um mm-hmm. 
you know we're not yep. quite there yet. yep but um yeah so that was um that was the um the great boycott um and yeah huge victory for the labor movement particularly for the rights of migrant workers um but um getting a little bit abroad now um well abroad for one of our hosts <laughs> it's like everything everything's been american so far but um so around the world um the other big one that a lot of people might have heard about uh the assault satyagraha in 1930 so um the assault satyagraha was a non-violent protest against british colonial rule in india led by mahatma gandhi in 1930 um i think he was still known as Mohandas Gandhi at that point. But um, yeah, I mean, Gandhi, a uh, bit of a shithead, you know, did some it's good true. things, kind of a pest, um, putting it out there, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> great for anti-imperialism, not so good for, you know, like this treatment of, you know, um, people darker skin than him, um, young woman, um, a lot of other stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think like, um, a lot of people just like think of the, his boycotts in particular, like, um, these protests, like the nonviolent protests by themselves being the thing that shook off, um, you know, um, the imperial rule of India, but, um, like we are saying before, it's, you know, it's part of a larger thing, like, you know, everyone knows Mahatma Gandhi was, you know, like nonviolent, you know, turn the other cheek, all that kind of stuff. But there's also a lot of other figures like um, uh, Subandra Bose, um, who was like a kind of Indian nationalist leader who another super controversial dude did a lot of great things for anti-imperialism was pretty tight you know good big fan of hitler so that's kind of weird um you know just shit like that but like my point is that it wasn't like you know like um gandhi didn't send england packing by throwing up peace signs you know but um yeah yeah the but this particular boycott was particular was really effective so the british government had a monopoly on the production and sale of salt in india they basically had the market cornered um so gandhi organized a march to the arabian sea to collect salt in defiance of the colonial government so they basically had it in control and they were just like actually no we're just going to walk down there and we're just going to get it and um so yeah the protest was marked by peaceful marches civil disobedience and arrests of protesters um so they basically were like we are going to boycott the british salt trade we're just you know we're we're getting our own salt now we're not going to deal with them because you know their their presence here is a you know a foreign imposition and they shouldn't control our you know they shouldn't control the resource that we kind of like like the, the point is they could just walk down to the sea and get it so you know why are these why are these foreigners telling them that, you know, they're in control and that they own it or whatever. So yeah, the Salt Satyagraha drew attention to the injustices of colonial rule in India and helped to mobilize the Indian independence movement. Protest was a significant milestone in India's struggle for independence from British colonial rule. So yeah, so um, that's kind of was one of the big moments that kind of started kicking things off over there. Um, yeah. And it, it, it it's it's interesting right where there's like so many of these you know these corporations that like stake a claim out and say they own something and it's like at the end of the day it's like 
people wouldn't miss them you know like the the workers could probably do better without them i feel like that's like a recurring a recurring theme with a lot of the stuff we'll be talking about this time so um yeah they were basically just like um yeah fuck the british salt industry we're just gonna you know we're gonna go get our own salt by ourselves um yeah so another bus boycott big big bus boycott day here on red planet today um the bus boycott in batavia was a non-violent protest against dutch colonial rule in indonesia in 1948 so yeah batavia um was the old name under dutch rule for jakarta and so indonesian citizens in what is now jakarta organized a boycott of Dutch-owned buses to protest against the colonial government's policies. The boycott was marked by peaceful protests, negotiations with the colonial uh, and negotiations with the colonial government. The protests drew attention to the injustices of colonial rule in Indonesia and helped to mobilize the Indonesian independence movement. So same thing with the Indian independence movement, started off with these boycotts. So the bus boycott in Batavia was a significant milestone in Indonesia's struggle for independence from Dutch colonial rule. I just realized that I structured so many of these paragraphs exactly the same because I was writing up my notes. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, they're great. They're absolutely I know. Eh? There, there's lots of significant milestones, people. Um, so um, I think it was just like these two that I did back to back. But um, uh, yeah, anyway, so... Um, yeah, so the Dutch, who, um, you know, at the time were the colonial kind of landlords of Jakarta, um, this was a way for the people to fight back because, you know, it's you can't always just start by jumping out in the streets and, you know, uh, flipping over cars or whatever like that. Um, so this was like a consumer boycott that kicked off a lot of that. There was obviously, you know, other things happening at the time, but this was a way for the average person just to kind of like um, to partake in um, a protest against the government where it's like okay these companies are dutch owned but there's one that's local owned so we'll just everyone will just use that it doesn't matter if it doesn't come as often it doesn't matter if you know the buses are a little bit you know they aren't as fancy or whatever like that we'll just support the local business it's going to be better for our people and also send a message to um you know to the colonial government so um yeah, so that was another one that was um, super successful and then graduated into bigger things, um, which I think is a common theme with some of these, um, with well, yeah, with all of these uh, boycotts so far, they all kind of led into, you know, like further, further things down the track. Um, and then so the last one that I've got here is um, the anti-apartheid boycott. So this is one that is like, New Zealand's participation in this has kind of become like a huge, like, you know, I think like a point of like national pride or whatever. But yeah, so anti-apartheid boycott was like, uh, it was a global thing as well. It wasn't just like, you know, while it was happening down here in New Zealand, it was happening all around the world. Um, So South Africa, um, they obviously had the apartheid system, like a a system of racial segregation, you know, like they basically, they really kind of wrote the book on it. And, you know, it's the book that other people have picked up since, like, you know, Israel with their, Mm -hmm. um, you know, apartheid system uh, living in Palestinian land. Um, 
And so, yeah, and it went all the way until the end of apartheid in 1994. So this is decades and decades of boycotting. So it was aimed at isolating South Africa politically, economically, and culturally. And so this had so many different effects. Like, yeah, there was like, you know, entire industries that were shutting out South Africa because, you know, because of apartheid and basically like, you know, like the their entire treatment of black South Africans, like, you know, the the people whose land that they, you know, like the, the South African South Africans who are like the descendants of, you know, Dutch and German settlers and stuff, and basically um, you know, set themselves up as the the top, I think it's like the top two percent or something like that. Yep, yeah. And um yeah, yeah. And carved a little little fortress out for themselves there. There's a great um, um there's a great video um by um Third World Miss Explores that I just want to give a shout out. In fact, it's a series about apartheid South Africa and uh, I watched a bit of it on my stream uh, a month or so ago. And um yeah, just just in one of the episodes, the 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 way that you can see like um uh, parallels to, to Nazi Germany, parallels to, to apartheid Israel like is so like clearly obvious um you know I, I really don't think people understand just how bad apartheid south africa was because i think they just see it as a like oh well you know they just let black people work in one area and, and thingies white people work in the other area but it's, it, it was so much more insidious and violent and horrific than that um you know this was all about enabling of of uh, militant fascist groups to go around and assault people black people indigenous black people in uh, you know on their they were land. um yeah, yeah, they were creating an ethnostate, like a white ethnostate. Yeah. And a lot of it was um, like uh, what a lot of people don't know. It's like they think that like basically like the white people just carved out this little hole and they were just like, this is for us or whatever. But they actually, they there was like this whole thing they had called the homelands where they yes. basically they set up, they decided um, where like they kind of like sent different groups of like, you know, of different uh like groups of black people like ethnic groups cultural groups and gave them new homelands and sent them there and fully just like excommunicated them from you know separated communities and all this kind of stuff and they were basically like this is where you guys live now this is where you guys yeah. live whatever which obviously led to like so many you know different problems um so yeah like this wild thing of not just kind of um not just kind of setting themselves up but also kind of just yeah just absolutely fucking over everyone else at any opportunity they could like it's all yeah it's fucking wild um yeah like the they had they planned it from the ground up to be like a very strict ethno state you know it's like i think yeah, a lot of yeah. like a lot of those like you get these like weird right leaning people these days that try and romanticize what it was and they say like yeah oh, was, you know like all these people that are like big rhodesia fanboys or whatever and they're just like oh you know it's just like people trying to carve out a little community for themselves like it's just like some little commune up in the hills it's like no they like this was like a fascist Dude, whole like I, country i, I, I had they, this I had this exact thing with my stepdad this weekend. He's a conservative Jewish Zionist man. 
Um, and so he's very much like, um, you know, when I said to, I was just having the conversation, like saying like, oh, you know, I learned about apartheid South Africa and the similarities with Nazi Germany. And he was like, no, they didn't plan to, to genocide loads of, of, you know, indigenous African people. And I was like, the Jew, the, you know, the Germans, they didn't like say, we're going to murder all these Jews. It wasn't in the policy thing. They just said, we're going to send them to these different fucking places. And then, you know, they, they, they use that as an excuse to get away with killing them like i don't think you understand they didn't run on like we're gonna murder jews they just like did it you know and that's that's you could absolutely say that that was what they were trying yeah. to do in, in south and, africa yeah so, there are huge parallels know. with like what israel is doing now there's a huge community of south african expats of Afrikaners who have moved to israel and converted to judaism because you know and there's like these interviews with these people there's like documentaries about it where they're talking about how much they love it because it reminds them of apartheid and yeah. how you know and how they they miss that system which is like just you know it's wild I, I could just imagine like them going over there and like you know maybe like having an interview with someone and they'd be like oh it's it's definitely not apartheid but it's very similar like you know so I, you know it reminds me of the apartheid days but it's not apartheid that's not happening like you know how, how and they it's like well like, yeah this? yeah and you see these people like not just like you know attacking palestinians and dispossessing them of their land but also the um like the um the christian minority in israel um, yeah. which are predominant like the, a lot of the Christians there are Arabs and um, and African, yeah. like North African um, Christians, like Ethiopian and stuff, and um, and even like Ethiopian Jews, which like for a lot of the time they get attacked as well. You know, it's like yep. it's wild. So it's like it's very much like <laughs> they um, they enjoy the yeah I would say the um, the the racial segregation of. Mm -hmm. um, of the apartheid system but um yeah so uh the anti-apartheid boycott was went on for decades because yeah the um south africa held on really strong there because they did have a lot of industry that they were using to like still trade with the rest of the world and stuff which is a thing like um you know with a lot of resources or a, a strong enough industry a company or a country can hold out against a boycott for a while you know like they can weather that storm a little bit so um yeah uh the protests were pretty effective though in showing people what actually was happening over there um one the really significant one in new zealand and also in australia was the springbok rugby tour so um and there was a couple of them right yes. every time they were because rugby is like the national game over here it's like the same as like football in england or like you know um i don't know basketball or something and whatever americans are into. <laughs> um, NFL or, or yeah. american football NFL. american football yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. um which so, is basically rugby let's face it it's rugby yeah yeah, yeah. it's like yeah 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 and lots of rugby players end up going over there to play for them because they offer them ridiculous salaries yeah. but um so um yeah so it's it was like the national game and so a bunch of times they would come over and people would try and organize boycotts and they kind of like it happened a couple times and it like you know it kept going ahead or whatever and then it built up to one point where it was just way too big and they couldn't stop it and, you know this is like groups of people storming the the field and like doing all kinds of stuff like or even just like any other rugby game that they you know like the people organizing it or the teams 
had um you know like had shown support for the Springboks or like you know like for the whole thing to go ahead anyway people were just protesting everywhere but the thing is it was like <clears throat> so these days we look back at it as this like you know people frame it in this kind of like li- really liberal revisionist kind of way where it's like this is the time that our country stood up and said no or whatever but it was actually a very small group of dedicated people who just continually like kept at it and kept kind of like bringing attention to it and the newspapers were writing articles like hit pieces about like individual protesters being like this person is like an enemy to democracy <laughs> and all this kind of stuff and um <laughs> to be honest it was like it was mainly um yeah it was like a lot of anarchists communists um it was hugely maori um and there was a lot of there was a lot of um actual like really well-known maori rugby players that said why like two other fellow maori players like why are you playing um you why are you playing with them in a game against you know like why are you kind of um supporting the system that is kind of like similar to what what we went through in the past like why are you like you know like you of all people should see like what's happening here and you should stand up against it there's one guy in particular i can't remember his name but he was like a really famous all black like one of the biggest players and they were just like they tried to destroy him over it you know like because he was considered like you know like he was someone that had made it he got a seat at the table he was a good maori or whatever like that and then he was just like no fuck it um So yeah, so that was a huge thing. Um, some of the people that were involved in it went on to become like, you know, like Greens MPs and like famous like union organizers and stuff. Some of them went on to be kind of, I don't know, shitty, but whatever. Um, so um, yeah, it's one of those things that um, it was for us, even though like, yeah, like eventually, um, you know, like, that alongside with a bunch of other things kind of led to um i guess kind of like exposing apartheid for what it was and helping embolden you know like um protesters all around the world and within south africa like i know nelson mandela specifically spoke about seeing the um springbok tour boycott and being like it made us feel like people could see what was happening, you know, and like it really kind of energized us, which is amazing. But um, I think it was like, you know, it was the people in South Africa, the black people that were fighting that system that really brought it down. But I think that the boycotts actually, you know, helped put pressure on from the outside. So I don't want to like, you know, make it sound like, Oh yeah. And then, you know, through, through boycotting a rugby game racism was sold or anything like <laughs> it that. was defeated <laughs> you know it was it was part of a wider a wider strategy um and something that definitely um i think for organizing in new zealand even though like even moving on from apartheid once that system was ended so many people that were organizing there went on to kind of maintain that momentum and put it into other things, you know, other progressive kind of um, other progressive um, kind of causes and stuff. So it's like, yeah, again, like started with a boycott then moved on to, you know, like a whole bunch of other things, Um, which is great. But um, yeah. So, uh, and then yeah, 1994, they ended apartheid (laughs) And so many, so a whole bunch of white uh, South Africans just randomly chose to move to um, 
to Australia, New Zealand, and a bunch of other countries for no reason whatsoever. Got nothing to do with apartheid ending and, um, you know, like uh, Black Africans getting, you know, getting their rights, whatever. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's just a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure none of those people still have really harmful views and wish to influence <laughs> our politics in particular ways. So harmful that it led them to like relocate to a new continent. Yeah, exactly. They got like super sweet deals in a lot of places because um, <laughs> New Zealand has this thing where like there was like like New Zealanders fought in like the South African War way back in the day. So they like have always like the New Zealand government has always had these deals for South African people to move here and set up. Um, so yeah, I remember when I was young and like, yeah, sort of like 94-ish sort of thing, you know, South African kids popping up at school and being like, oh, I've never met a South African person before. And all of a sudden there's like a whole bunch of them. And it's like, hmm, wonder what your dad did. <laughs> like, you know? Oh my God. And there's like a bunch I've tattooed them before. I've I've heard wild stories from people who lived under apartheid but as you know like from either side actually because there's a lot of like black south africans that live over here as well you know people saying wild shit about like there was a guy that i tattooed who um said that his family moved over here because of how dangerous what dangerous it was over here there and the danger was him explaining the story of his granddad owned this gigantic farm that basically like you know, was like food production for the entire area or whatever. And one night um, he killed a man who climbed the wall of their compound and broke into some like food store. And so he saw this guy, an unarmed man, he shot him, killed him. It was a black guy who he then recognized was one of his employees or one of the farm workers and stuff. And so for them, they were like, oh, this is too dangerous. We have to leave. It's like, wow, how dangerous do you think it is for your poor employee who had to climb into your compound knowing that you were armed to break into yep. a food storage place? You know, it's yep. like... I remember the like story. Fucking yeah. wild. Yeah. I think I maybe I mentioned it once before. I think like just after it happened, I mentioned it on stream. But yeah. it's just it's it's wild thinking that like these are the white replacement people, you know? Like these Literally. are the fucking idiots that like think of themselves as the victims, you know? I know it's the same type of theme with uh, white people in America. Like when I talk to my mom and stuff and she's talking about something, an area that's dangerous, it's always about like property theft or someone who is it's always it's it's always about some sort of person that's like breaking into like and breaking into a home or breaking into a car or someone stealing a purse and that's always the like the height of like the worst thing that you can imagine as a white person right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> true yeah it's always like oh you know in the in in the uk people would actually say like an extremely racist thing like oh that area is proper ghetto you know yeah yeah it's like well, what do you mean by that yeah, yeah what, what, what are you fucking on about ghetto yeah. like i never like uh you know like use that term to describe any any area even if it was like a majority you know place where racialized people are concentrated it's it's like you know the the you're just like oh yeah you'll get your you'll get your wallet nick there you'll get mugged in that and it's like yeah it's always about being mugged in it it's like it's not mm -hmm. like oh yeah you'll actually get like murdered or whatever it's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But I'm um, also um, do want to shout out that there are some amazing anti-racist um, organizers. There are people that lived through apartheid as being a white 
person or whatever and then have gone off around the world and um have done really great things um i know some white jewish organizers from south africa who have done some amazing things over here in new zealand um one of them in particular kind of um was the one that put together the um well like that got lord to boycott israel israel made she made a big statement about it and everything like that and now um israel basically like if you ever come you know if you if you ever come through our airspace or in any anywhere that we have influence we will make you stand trial because of um you know your crimes against israel (laughs) for basically writing a letter to the lord and being like hey you shouldn't play in israel because they're really shitty and so you know to be her as uh, um as a south african um uh jewish um israeli person as well it's like that's you know like oh you can never really go you know back to your home or whatever because um because the government there is so corrupt and you know because they are you know running an apartheid system so um yeah it must be really shitty to be someone whose family has come from one apartheid system to know that like your kind of you know like your your culture and your identity is so like tied up with um this group that are basically doing the same thing now you know so i think that's why this you do get a lot of people from that background that are very like very um you know vehemently opposed to that whole you know that whole thing um so yeah so um that was all of the the historical examples but um yeah i wanted to talk a little bit more about the idea of the well actually it's not the end of the historical examples because there's more coming there always <laughs> but um, um yeah like you the idea escapes it listen yeah 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 of um like the economic boycott boycott um you know like what it generally means or whatever so it's um yeah basically just um it's a tool to exert political pressure on a country or organization and um doing it by encouraging yeah consumers businesses or even like governments you know which is like the case with the anti-apartheid thing um to stop buying goods or services that are associated with the um you know the target of the boycott so the goal of an economic boycott is to inflict economic harm on the target so you know to cost it money um whether it's through sales or whether it's through you know just like whatever service they provide or even like um you know like sometimes by refusing to deal with a company like the you know like a supplier can refuse to deal with a company so that like okay so you know we're a restaurant but we need food but we can't buy it as opposed to like you know because our suppliers won't deal with us because they're boycotting us as opposed to just like you know, like we don't go and eat at that restaurant because they should eat whatever. Um, so, um, yeah. And like through that, obviously, you know, to leverage that economic harm to, you know, make some kind of change or to, um, I guess like to, um, to like, you should have a goal going into it, you know, like this is what we want out of this is what we want them to do. We want them to end apartheid. We want them to, you know, like desegregate buses, whatever. Um, So um, yeah, another one that I wanted to mention about uh, because it's a, it's a similar one 
um, to some of the other ones that we've talked about is the Arab League boycott of Israel, which uh, yeah, began yeah. in 1948. So after the establishment of the state of Israel, so basically Israel was set up um, so to, you know, basically by the UK and the UN, you know, the UN by way of, by way of the UK or whatever, um, as, you know, the state um, for uh, Jewish people dispossessed by the Holocaust, you know, obviously they, they, they wanted um, a safe place, like a homeland or whatever. And a lot of places around the world were like, you know, come here, come here, whatever. And there was even like, um, yeah, a group from my tribe, Napui, who like basically were like, we will donate. They're like a group that are like quite intensely Christian. And they just had this idea that like, they were like, we should make the new Jerusalem up north and, you know, we'll give them land for a homeland or whatever. And they were like, ah, no, like we appreciate it, but no thanks or whatever. We kind of have somewhere we want to go. And um, yeah. yeah, which is it's really strange. But um, right. yeah, so uh, and so the UK and the UN and all of their, you know, whatever wisdom basically were like, well, have this chunk of Palestine, you know, and um, and Palestine was obviously a land with people already there you know whatever um they weren't too fussed about that which you know to the to the you know um to the discomfort of many people watching at the time if you want to know about like you know how how did the uk get to decide this uh, it's colonialism it was colonialism the, the the british annexed palestine and then basically said um okay we're, we're gonna turn this into israel now and uh, yeah yeah well, because, um, yeah, like the, um, the the people of, you know, who soon to be Israel or whatever, the, the, they were like, well, this is kind of, you know, like our holy land anyway. And it, you know, just lines up that you guys kind of own our, you know, chunk of our own holy land at the moment. So and everyone watching at the time was like, oh, it's kind of weird because they already live there. Like, you know, there's already people living there. Um, do you have to make a new state? Can't they just go yes. live there? yes yes yeah yeah so they um they ended up being like okay well yeah you know obviously these people can coexist we'll give them a little chunk of land of palestine they can live there and then you know the palestinian people can go about doing their things and um people of palestine were obviously like a little bit kind of weird about it but in general they actually kind of were like okay no like you know like um you know jewish people have always lived here that like you know many of us are jews but arab jews and you know like a lot of these, like the people of Palestine were the direct descendants of the people that have always lived there. Whereas a lot of the people coming in with Israel, some of them were direct descendants. Others were people that um, like culturally Jewish people from other ethnic groups around the world and stuff. So, you know, like a bit of a mixed people, but, you know, the Palestinians went like, come on in. And for a long time, it was like, you know, like, um, like I know people whose parents had passports that said, you know, like, um, citizen of Israel, Palestine, you know, like, and it was like a thing together. And, you know, everyone thought like, okay, cool. You know, this is going to ride or whatever, but it didn't really take too long before things started not being cool. Uh, Israel started kind of expanding their borders, just, you know, more people coming in all the time, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and it's like, you know, to the point where it was like, you know, like conflict was inevitable. And so pretty, pretty soon into the creation of 
Israel, people started saying, um, you know, a lot of the countries surrounding them, which became what they called the Arab League, were like, no, like this is, you know, this is a colonial project. We are not going to deal with Israel. Like we're just going to ice them out. We're going to boycott everything. No, um, you know, like no businesses, no imports, no exports, anything like that. Um, through Israel's ties to like America and the UN and UK and stuff, they were able to kind of survive through it though, you know, like they kind of weathered it. Um, and, you know, like Israel still exists largely because of like billions and billions of dollars coming through from America because, um, you know, they obviously have um, a lot of business interests in the area, business military interests in the area. Um so yeah, so this boycott was basically saying no, no trade or anything like that, because they are, you know, at this point they were like, yeah, they're killing our people, you know, like people that have always been there, um, people, other Arab people. And, um, you know, they're basically becoming this, um, this little imperial, um, like a lot of people, like I, I've even heard American military um, figures referring to it as um, like thinking of it as a, like a naval base, except instead of the middle of the sea, it's in the middle of the Middle East, you know? Yeah, yeah, literally. Um, and the, the, the BDS, um, the, the boycott list is extremely big. Uh, by the way, you can sort of have a look at this if you go to BDS Guide dot com there's loads of stuff on there um just some that i've picked out while uh tim's been uh, uh basically telling us about this uh are for example power raid every single version of power raid is on the list um noted uh celebrity simon cowell donated one hundred and fifty thousand dollars specifically to the idf the the the, the people who literally oh. so the idf is the um the israeli defense um, what is it? Israeli Defense. Israeli Defense Force, which is an oxymoron. Force. Yeah, yeah, because... force. I was thinking, I was like, force fund. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's an oxymoron because they are not really mm. under. Yeah, it's like and... a standing army that you know attacks outwards. Um, they go down into neighborhoods and push around unarmed civilians. They shoot, um, you know, they shoot Red Cross medics. They, yeah, it's wild. Mm. And it, it is the thing. It's like there's a mandatory military service where when you hit a, hit a certain age, I think it's when you're in your late teens, they get you in and it becomes this thing where um, like, I, cause I know, I know friends that have been through it and I know friends, I've had friends that have avoided it as well. Um, I want I want it. Yeah. I went on a date with a, a person who refused military service in. Yeah. 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 Well. And um, so like, I've, I, I know a guy that went through it and he said that it like, they, they make it like, it's like, it's like school camp or something like that. And it's all fun. And there's like this really kind of like, there's this thing amongst the young men where they like, kind of, um, it's like this thing of like this macho man thing where it's like, they put, they give you the guns, they give you the arm and they send you down with your boys down to this neighborhood. And they, you know, tell you like, Oh, go around and like, you know, just push them around a little bit and stuff and like things escalate from there and because they have the backing of you know israel or whatever they know they can get away with like anything you know and um yeah so and it literally ends up in like people getting killed all the time you know and like children getting killed um just random people getting killed people like yeah like 
Arabs, they, they particularly, like, yeah, they particularly focus recruitment on individuals who have, um, like noted poor mental health and, um, in terms of like, you know, this, so this is aside from the, um, mandatory military service, like, you know, when, when they like, you know, come to the end of the mandatory military service, they see how they've acted like, you know, and, and if they are irrational, if they are like, you know, sociopathic, they tend to favor those for like actual recruitment into the IDF, which is so fucking insidious. It's like, they, they also like, you know, have a look at like how um nationalistic they are like how nationalistic yeah, yeah. uh it's like a huge part of it as well like yeah. um but um yeah so the bds boycott divestment and sanctions was um set up uh in the early 2000s and it's like a global campaign run by um a bunch of palestinian organizations that all got together to um so yeah the arab league were um a group like that was kind of like a group of arab countries surrounding israel whatever whereas um and they actually they kept a a blacklist of everyone like anyone that they found like trading with them or doing things whatever like that they kept a big list and then so yeah eventually in the, the 2000s bds kicked off and um yeah so they maintain a huge list these days of all the companies that are and aren't you know uh israeli run um and you know like and it can be anything like like soda stream is an israeli company there's like there's little stands at the mall where people try and sell you cosmetics and stuff like that it's like all kinds of stuff is um and it's like that's you know they're getting aside from all the money they get from the states and stuff there's there's little money that's going back to israel to back up their apartheid system you know so um yeah, so there's a whole bunch of um, companies. And I, I, I recommend everyone looking into it and seeing because you probably find that there's like some company that, you know, something that you use every day. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> Coca-Cola. I, I, um, <laughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, Coca-Cola, Caprason, uh, Nestle Corn Flakes, Nesquik, uh, Breakfast Cereal, Shreddies, UK and Ireland. Uh, there's so many, literally. Uh, let's. I think there's some other uh, popular brands here. Um, yeah, there's just loads. If you just go to BDS, um, BDS Guide, all one word. dot com. Uh, Oval Ovaltine as well. Yeah, there's a lot of um, celebrities as well, especially musicians and stuff. That um, yeah, there's like a lot of musicians that have played shows there and released really like shitty, disappointing yeah. statements about why they chose to do it. Like uh, Paul, there was, Paul I remember McCarty. there was, yeah, there was one from Nick Cave as well, and I was like, yeah. come on, dude, like oh, I don't Nick, this from you. Nick Cave, Nick Cave is also like um, a, a transphobe from what I know as well. Yeah, so he's oh, really, he? yeah, he's like really gone down uh, a bit of a a bit of a shit. Uh, uh sort of sort of line recently uh yeah some other some other celebrities some other um um uh, mm. musicians that i was quite surprised about were radiohead for example radiohead uh have defended their decision to play shows on occupied palestinian territories um also unfortunately lady gaga who we spoke about um recently no. uh, literally on this show uh she loves tel aviv uh and the 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 you know the 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 Israeli press went, uh, uh, you know, huge with this. They were like, oh, you know, she had a very emotional show with those fans. She loves it here, uh, uh, you know, and uh, and all this kind of stuff. Well, so, uh, one of the most interesting, um, like, musical kind of statements I saw about it was um, years ago. This was like oh, 2019, 2018 or something like that. The, um, 
they did um, the Eurovision contest in um, Tel Aviv. And um, so a bunch of people, you know, decided like, we're not going to fucking do it, you know, like, um, like, because, you know, Eurovision countries kind of have their musical act and they send them over there or whatever. And so a lot of, a lot of musicians and bands and stuff that got it actually pulled out and they were like, nah, we're not going to do that. Um, so, you know, like a lot of the times, the, a lot of the groups that went there weren't actually the, the pick from the country, you know, it was like the second or third one or whatever. And so um, there's um, one group that was from Iceland, a band called Hatari, um, who people might know. They're kind of like a really abrasive, industrial kind of queer band. Um, they, they did it and everyone was like, oh, fucking, you know, Hatari, like, you know, what are you guys doing? That's not what you're about or whatever. And um, so they, um, yeah, like they when they performed, they, you know, they... Um, they got they ended up getting fined because when they came out they were wearing um i think they were in kathea and they had like palestinian flags and stuff and everyone was like okay cool but you still went like what's up with that and then um during the um and i think yeah someone else like i think madonna did the same thing but during the um the whole eurovision contest or whatever they hatari then released a video of them they had like snuck out of israel like at some point you know during the trip or whatever like that and recorded a music video in palestine with a bunch of like local palestinian queer artists and things like that and then um yeah and then they snuck back in to do this or whatever like that and israel went off at them you know they were like you cannot you cannot mix politics with entertainment or whatever like that and they were just like this is well, that's what we do you know <laughs> so um yeah no politics you know. in my music so it was kind of cool how they they um they brought it around um you know like uh so they kind of you know like they used the platform that um eurovision had given them in israel to um kind of further their further the cause you know um which i thought was really interesting um and really especially because of um you know especially being queer artists and then working with palestinian queer artists and like you know like the kind of um history of kind of repression in the area israel does like to make out like it is like this bastion of queer rights in the middle east but it absolutely is not you know john the dunk has a fantastic youtube video about this that he made recently Oh, pride and why I was ashamed to to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also, now that we have a moment, um, um, I wanted to mention that Israel does reach out to artists and and often, almost probably always, bribes them to come over. Like Israel has so much money, uh, not uh, not <laughs> not um, it, America does a ton to make sure that Israel is like completely and utterly just just swimming in money so they can just throw it everywhere they hire they give money to their own uh youth to be able to go on social media and just write nice wonderful things about israel and uh, they'll give they literally like, have a money. department like a government department focused on like social media propaganda that is just like putting like you know like 
people in a room and paying them like a decent wage to uh, just like shit post about how awesome it's yeah this way you have these like twitter accounts where these like people like all saying the same kind of things and stuff mm-hmm. and it's like you can get university credits for it and stuff it's like fucking wild oh my gosh it's, like mm. yeah i remember I, I, uh, yeah. demi lovato if you know her she's a pop star um she was paid uh, i think it was like one hundred fifty thousand dollars to come to israel and to be like baptized in like uh what does she do? She got baptized in the Jordan in Jordan River and she like posts all on Instagram. And then she and then she wrote this quote unquote apology where she she's like, I'm so sorry. Like I accepted a free trip to Israel in exchange for a few posts, and no one told me there'd be do there'd be anything wrong with going or that I would offend anyone. It was supposed to be like a spiritual journey for me and not a political statement. And I'm so sorry that I like, I'm not more educated. A spirit if someone's like, here's $150,000, I don't call that a first of all, that's not a spiritual experience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be a spiritual experience, you know. Uh, being I am feeling real spiritual about this money right now. You know, like, uh, but but other than that, yeah, for sure. But she, um, like, just for the record, she gave the shittiest apology where she's just like, "I'm sorry, I'm not more educated, and sorry for thinking this trip trip was just a spiritual experience." Mm-hmm. That that's her big apology. Yeah. I love my fans, everyone. Like, give me a break. So I think uh, I think it would be important to point out here that there is um, a more concentrated list on uh, who and what to boycott uh, at the moment, because, of course, there are so many different people who have supported uh, Israel in, in so many ways at the moment. It can be a little bit overwhelming to sort of look at this and go, well, what exactly should I do? Um, but on the if you go to the website BDSmovement.net um, and go to get involved and what to boycott, um, they have uh, uh, seasonal things that they are uh, focusing on. For example, Hewlett Packard, uh, they help run biometric mm-hmm. ID systems that Israel used to restrict Palestinian uh... movement. Sabra hummus, shitty, shitty yep. hummus is also part of it. I post about this on my Twitter. I, and uh, if anyone, actually, yeah, don't worry about it. You can, if you want the thread, you can find it, I guess, but you can find the information yourself. It's pretty easy. There's a New Zealand company called Rocket Lab that are like the darlings of like space exploration and launching, you know, sort of like in New Zealand or whatever. They're just like this big company that, you know, they're super shit. They're like, um, but they, they launch, they do surveillance stuff for, um, for Israel and the US military sending up, um, yeah, it's a company called Rocket Lab. Oh, okay. um, Okay. But and they um they even like their launch pad they built on um on Maori land on I think it's um Nati Rongo Rongo Maiwahine, I think um it's their land. And they were like, if you build this here, there's absolutely no military payloads to be launched. Like there's no we don't want any like kind of military application of this equipment if you're setting it up setting up on our land and then they're just like, Okay, well it's not military, but it's like surveillance for corporations that sell this information to the military you know just like they're called the idf they're all it's in it's in the name that they're just trying to lie they're just straight up lying about what they're doing like give me a break i should also say that that uh hewlett packard like you said hp but i want to make it clear that they also provide and operate technology that israel uses to to maintain apartheid including like surveillance um so that's also why that's a it's huge part of, part of maintaining the um, system. Like, um, yeah, part of what Israel does 
throughout Palestine is um the checkpoint system and all this kind of stuff and it's just like yeah like the, there's uh, there's infrastructure that supports that yeah. I just anyway, realized um, that Israel's like the the worst example on the planet of I'm just asking questions guy oh, it's yeah. just like <laughs> <laughs> nothing's ever exact what he's actually doing he's just innocently there yeah they have this thing um they call it Hasbara H-A-S-B-A-R-A which is like means explaining and um that's you know that hasbara kind of um uh program is what they you know they get the students into just to just explain things on twitter and on facebook and all this kind of shit like that and it's fucking wild if you look into it they yeah they get university credits and all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but um anyway we should move on from that and talk about how um so social media has changed the way that people can carry out these boycotts um and made them a lot more effective in many ways. Social media platforms like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram have given boycott organizers a powerful tool to mobilize supporters and spread their message quickly and widely. Uh, One of the main advantages of using social media for boycotts is that it allows organizers to reach a large audience quickly and at low cost. Through social media, boycott organizers can share information, videos, images, and hashtags, which can go viral and attract widespread attention. Social media also allows boycott organizers to engage with supporters and respond to criticisms or concerns. Another advantage of using social media for boycotts is that it allows customers to share their opinions and experiences with a wider audience. For example, consumers can use social media to share photos or videos of products that they have boycotted or to express their dissatisfaction with the company's policies or practices. These posts can reach a large audience and can put pressure on companies to address their concerns. So this is like a super easy thing you can do. Like, um, you know, like I've done this before. I remember um, posting up, there was like, um, there was, so there was an artist dude that does a bunch of murals around town who was kind of like outed as being like a serial predator, serial rapist. And um, and he has a, a bunch of murals around town already, all around New Zealand actually. And he had um, some there was places that continued to work with him after this was found out, you know, people still hiring him for murals, even though you could, you know, like everyone knew or whatever. I remember I, I, you know, I took a photo of one at this place that we're at and it was like, fuck this place. Don't go here. Like this is new. Everyone knows what this guy is up to and they hired him to do this. You know, they could have hired someone else or whatever. And, you know, and then like a bunch of other people were like, Oh shit didn't know that was one of his good thing you know fuck that guy you know like we're not gonna support any businesses that you know support them or whatever so Mm -hmm. it's like a super easy thing that you can just do like with social media now where you can like you know like Mm -hmm. easily get the word out to friends or whatever like that especially if you have some kind of following or whatever like that you start a hashtag whatever like that to draw attention to these things it's like literally something anyone can start with you know the phone in their hand whatever but um Yeah, but I mean, the problem is that social media can also be super crowded and noisy. And it's like you're even at the best of times, you're still competing for people's attentions and stuff. So mm-hmm. unless, yeah, it can be hard to kick off something like that without an existing kind of following or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, obviously, is that if you, uh, you know, if you're if you're a real big, big lefty or your friends lefties as well, you could try starting a, a boycott or whatever, and you might only be reaching people that already agree with you. 
you know, like, um, which I think is a thing that happens often. And not that it's a bad thing, because it's like, if they already agree with you, but they don't know what's up, then that, you know, can help. But um, yeah, to really get outside of that, you have to look bigger than, you know, just your own social media or whatever. And that's when people, you know, start making more public demonstrations and things like that. Mm. Um, but there have been a bunch of, um, a bunch of really effective um, uh, social media boycotts. And um, in 2017, following a decision by Uber to lift its surge pricing during a taxi strike in New York City, a New York City protesting President Trump's travel ban. So that was so Trump put out the travel ban on Muslim countries, and a bunch of taxis were like, "Okay, taxi drivers were like, fuck it, like you know we're we're Muslim and you're banning." you know, travel to and from our home countries, like fucking, you know, try get a cab now, you know? So they, um, they, the taxi drivers went on strike. And during that time, Uber were like, let's crank up the surge pricing because people don't have an alternative, you know? So, um, so a campaign was launched, was hashtag delete Uber, which uh, urged people to just delete the app and switch to using competing, competing companies. And it um, gained a lot of traction uh, across, you know, Twitter, other, other um, social media stuff. And they uh, had a huge amount of people deleting the app, switching to other services. And that was even when a lot of other competing services initially got, you know, like a huge chunk of their user base from people deleting uber from yeah, uber yeah, sucks. my god just a horrible yeah another one was stop funding hate so it was a uk-based campaign that aims to um encourage advertisers to withdraw their support from media outlets that promote hatred discrimination and division the campaign uses social media to target companies that advertise in publications such as the daily mail and the sun urging them to withdraw their support campaign has been successful in persuading several companies, including Lego, John Lewis, and Waitrose to withdraw their support, withdraw their advertising from these publications. So this is something that we have talked about before on here about, um, you know, one way to really hit a lot of these businesses or even like conservative kind of media outlets is to hit them in, um, yeah, their advertisers mm -hmm. because that's, you know, that's basically how they, get shit going you know um yeah that's why that's why elon musk is so desperate to say um, this is a shout oh, out to our, our boy elon musk your special yeah, boy yeah he's desperate to be like oh yeah the advertisers are coming back they're definitely coming back yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's all cope it's all cope right because he's he's deleted essentially the entire moderation team sack them all elon if you're watching i have faith in you okay? <laughs> i know you can do it What's like the thirty billion dollar lawsuit, and is it in Germany against Twitter? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, because they have such strict laws against like Nazi shit, basically. And the mm -hmm. only team that was handling all of that stuff and like basically preventing him from getting preventing them from getting sued by Germany because to operate in Germany you have to you know like you have to go by these standards or whatever. He fired them all. They were like the first people that he fired. So. um <laughs> Yeah, the the lawsuit is for about thirty billion dollars, which is currently like way higher. Sounds like than you just hate free speech. Twitter's actual value. <laughs> Sounds like I do me. hate free speech. <gasps> Same, um, actually. <laughs> come at what? me, Elon. So yeah. <laughs> so stop funding hate is another <laughs> big one. Um, 
and then the other one which is like more of like a, a group that kind of do a whole bunch of stuff is um sleeping giants who um they're a, a campaign aiming to persuade companies to withdraw advertising from websites and media outlets that do the same thing as stop funding hate basically any hate speech and bigotry stuff um so yeah they do the same thing urging people to withdraw support They've um, been really successful persuading Amazon, Nestle, and The Guardian to withdraw advertising from these sites, which is like, I think is like kind of ironic considering like Nestle and or another big one with, you know, Israel and stuff like yeah. that. It's like, yeah. man, okay, well, you know, like, <laughs> like I, I, I do think that, I mean, this is like something that, you know, we can talk a little bit more about, but um, yeah, I think it's like, a lot of the times you um like these a lot of these boycotts for companies like this will end up addressing the um the downstream stuff like you know like the people that are doing that a hate speech on fucking you know their whatever you know what's you know like tucker carlson or some shit like that pulling his advertisers or whatever like that whereas like i think that like there's the stuff upstream from that which you know is like things like the fucking state of israel <laughs> you know stuff like that yeah. like you know um and it's kind of like you know yeah it's like hitting the heads on the whack-a-mole machine or whatever like that where it's like you know you know like they're just gonna keep coming um but yeah so but yeah the the other side of that because it's kind of a double-edged sword is that boycott organizers and supporters can get a lot of harassment and backlash from people who oppose the boycott which is something that we saw a lot with the harry potter fucking hogwarts game boycott Mm -hmm. where so the people that were talking about boycotting were like from everything that i saw extremely chill but then like the people that were the people that were the being the scabs the people that were knowing about the boycott and intentionally doing it anyway knowing about jk rowling what she's about they got so fucking butt hurt that yep. they you know they were like crying on stream when people were like like there's like the famous video that was going around of like the the couple that was streaming the game or whatever and there's like just a couple people in the chat like being like hey look long time fan of yours but disappointed in what you're doing you know like this sucks like you know as a as a trans person as a queer person as a whatever like this is kind of like it's bumming me out because i thought you guys were you know like allies and that you know you've been historically been pretty good and then you know and then so um the the woman she uh i can't remember her name but so it's it's like a it's a couple it's a guy and girl and she you know, got really emotional about it. And she ended up taking like a five minute break from the stream, came back, played it some more for a couple of hours, played it all through the next day or whatever like that. But that one moment of her, like, you know, getting upset and crying and having to take a time out, got blown up to being this thing like, these boycotters are like, ah, you know, like harassing people and, you know, ruining their livelihoods, forcing them off stream and all this kind of stuff. And then, which was like absolutely not true. And then, um, yeah, and then it got flipped around. So it was like all these like reactionaries, all these like shitheads that were like, you know, like trying to like hunt people down that had like spoke about the boycott or whatever. One of them being like friend of the stream, Jesse Gender, who had made a video about it a while back, like before any of that stuff had actually happened. Um, 
you know, and just like just harassing her, like ridiculous, like to you know, like just like yeah, just really excessive levels, you know, like way, way, way beyond what anyone had ever said to any of the streamers or anything like that, and just like you know, so it's like there is this pushback where it's like if you are a public face, um, then you you know, and you attach yourself to a boycott or you talk about it or whatever like that, it's like you risk you risk this kind of um kind of pushback and that can sometimes also just be in like literal violence you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and so yeah yeah so there's there's those things that you always have to consider um like if you are a public facing person on social media that is taking place in, that is um kind of um you know like uh taking part in something like this but um <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, uh, probably wrap it up on this. Yeah, I think, well, Tim, I think you've done a really good job of detailing, like, boycotts. Tim did this, wrote this entire episode for the record. Yeah, and um, I think that I think that it's important to draw these comparisons with, for example, the boycott that we're seeing against uh, Bud Light, right? Uh, in terms of, like, uh, you know, they, they are trying to make a statement here um that is part of a broader campaign but what is that campaign that campaign is essentially just you know the eradication of lgbtqa plus people right so you know if you if you uh want to draw attention to this again like we said before you're going to be you're going to be drawn to the fact that dylan mulvaney is just a normal woman right? She is just simply a normal person. Like there is nothing um, extravagant or, uh, you know, uh, uh, hateful or, or, you know, horrible or negative about what, what she does or anything like that or who she is. And so the only way that you could possibly have empathy with these people who are boycotting Bud Light is if you're, uh, you know, an extremist far-right reactionary. Uh, and, and if you're already that kind of person, you're going to know about the Bud Light stuff because it's all all these people can fucking think about. Yeah, and um, that's like the thing. Yeah. It's like the, it's it's not anything that um, that Dylan has done in particular. It's like, it's, it's who she is as a trans woman, you know? Like, it... Like it could have been any trans person doing any kind of like you know like sponsored deal with any business or anything like that and these people would have like found it eventually and pounced on it or whatever and it's like um yeah kind of similar to what we're seeing now um i don't know the full situation but one of mr beast's um crew came out recently as i think non-binary um and you know it's like this instant thing where it's like people just like instantly pouncing like people that like like I don't know anything about Mr. Beast and or any of that kind of shit or whatever. Part of like the that. show, Mr. Beast. Yeah, 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 Mr. Beast. Um, no, he's actually like probably like indicative of like of a whole bunch of stuff that's really terrible about um about neoliberal capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So um, you know, like, and it's just like it, it could be. It, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be like, you know, they're like they're obsessed with this idea of like you know queerness or transness being shoved down their throats but their definition of shoved down their throats is simply existing and being seen or whatever so you know it's um yeah it uh it's the exact same thing with dylan with um i think chris is the name and i think they use like kind of all pronouns which has also been funny seeing um 
transphobes <laughs> deliberately try and misgender someone. <laughs> right Fucking gotcha. Oh, shit, what yeah. do I do? Fucking yeah. gotcha. How do I do a transphobia? Ah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I, I think, um, yeah, it's in terms of like how that goes versus the Hogwarts legacy thing, you know, you can actually see um, how this is in terms of, you know, direct harm to people. You can see the direct harm that JK Rowling has done um, and you can see how that is uh, an active thing to, to go against. Exactly the same in terms of like Israel's state oppression of Palestinians, um, you know, the civil rights uh, uh, movement back in the day in America and all these different, um, you know, uh, uh, sort of examples of, uh, you know, actual boycotts doing, um, you know, uh, really good work as, as part of broader movements is completely so much better than uh, you know anything that the <clears throat> reactionary right are uh, you know trying to uh, parking up out front of the brewery and just flipping the bird for two hours <laughs> the other thing is that it's like so many people pushing these kind of things you know, like they uh, create a product as an alternative. And it's like this really cynical thing where they're like, yeah, boycott fucking, you know, like boycott the gay beer and drink the man beer that I made that you can buy directly from my website, you know, for like twice the price. And people go like, fuck, yeah, I'm going to drink that Patriot fucking piss or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, it's so cynical. It's like, there's like the the people that are like, you know, like have no, like they're just the, the average Joe that has no idea that they're being manipulated. And they're, they're you know, the guy doing the fingers at the, the Bud Light factory or whatever. He's just like getting exploited by so many layers of people above him, you know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. so um, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. it's all part of, it's all part of a bigger kind of like ecosystem of, of terrible people doing mm -hmm. and saying terrible things. But yeah, just to go over, I think um, boycotts as a general tool for change have been pretty successful, um, you know, like with the iconic ones, like the bus boycotts and the anti-apartheid ones. But um, yeah, but it is, it's, they kind of hinge on getting widespread support. And that doesn't necessarily mean widespread, like people in the streets, but like just kind of having the public on their side, I guess, like mm. what we saw with the Springbok tour um yeah and a lot of people like you know, and there are like some fair criticisms about them not being the most effective way to bring about change because you know like there's always you know i guess like more extreme things that you could go for i would say more extreme or based um but yeah because you know a lot of people will say that they address the symptoms rather than the root causes which isn't always true but that is like something that a lot of people say and i think it definitely applies to things like um yeah like we were talking about how you know like the sleeping giants one with um you know getting nestle to pull advertising from you know like shitty publications or whatever where it's like nestle are kind of part of the bigger kind of like you know the bigger thing that ends up you know with these publications downstream anyway so um yeah so i think like the best ones the most effective boycotts that out of all the examples that we've listed have been the ones that have focused on not just like the kind of attacking a company for their like 
values or whatever like that but looking at systemic change around whether it's combating apartheid or colonial rule or things like that so bigger picture thing is i think that's something where we always talk about like with a lot of orgs and stuff like that like kind of having a bigger picture goal for how um you you want to affect society as opposed to how you want to fight this one particular battle but um yeah, so uh, let's look at the little questions we got coming in here. So we got um, from Shafiq, we got, um, what is the first boycott that the panel members became aware of or took part in? Um, yeah, what do you, what do you guys reckon? What's what was the first for you? So uh, it's it's literally like for me the BDS. <laughs> I don't know what you were gonna say, Kara. Oh, I was gonna say veganism. Oh right. yeah, yeah, that makes um, sense. Although. It, it before veganism it was it was like i'm gonna stop ha- uh, consuming battery hen eggs and i'm gonna stop do- like it was a very it was very like vote with your dollar liberal like uh, like complete and utter not so understanding like the bigger general picture. animal rights kind of thing and then you move yeah. from that into more like specifically like veganism and yeah yeah um and now it's like my my philosophy my my values are reflected in my behavior and my behavior as a person that lives lives under capitalism is largely unfortunately my consumption and so that's the way that i try to go about it so that's like the ongoing i suppose boycott although it's not truly a boycott boycott because it's like it's not like one particular company or whatever i mean i guess you could call would you call this a boycott yeah i feel like it's like there are a lot of there are a lot of groups together that are organizing boycotts along those lines so um yeah i think like it is like you know because there's like a personal boycott like something that you are personally doing and then something that it's like you know um like there are plenty of organizations that um are calling for like a boycott of all animal products and byproducts and stuff Mm -hmm. um yeah so um yeah i feel like that that's you know that's that's definitely qualifies i agree um yeah yeah, yeah. i agree and so bds for you Mule, you reckon that was the first thing you were yeah aware of? I, so you, luckily um i had um well manchester is a very big palestinian um solidarity uh, uh city in the uk and um i had a very early um sort of uh introduction to what bds was uh in comparison to like i think a few other people in in uh uh, in, in I guess in my age group in Manchester or like in my age group in the UK um, and it was like the, I think the first thing that I ever heard of was, was was like Jaffa oranges I think Jaffa oranges were like uh, 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 made in on stolen Palestinian land occupied Palestinian territories wait is that the little lollies that are like the orange chocolate lollies no 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 that's, um, what, that's what Jaffa's are over here Oh right, no Jaffa Orange is just like a brand of oranges. Oh basically. right, okay, yeah, 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 and and they would be like labeled Israeli produce, um, but it, it it was always Palestinian produce that was like, uh, you know, made from made on Palestinian territory by Palestinians, and then that would be like sold in British stores as like Israeli produce, and and there's a lot of this that still happens now with like, uh, fruits and vegetables from from Palestinian uh, uh farmers, and it's just called Israeli. You know, it'll say like, where is this from? israel and it's like no it's not it's from it's from palestine (laughs) that's like the whole um thing like you know there's like heaps of stuff where it's like you know like um israeli uh like it'll be like 
Israeli hummus or something like that, and it'll mm. be like a Palestinian recipe God, that one brought on Palestinian land. But like mm. the business owner is um, is Israeli because they've just kind of taken their taken their shit. Not to mention it's the hummus. history of hummus and who invented hummus. Oh, I have no idea about this. I have never heard of this. Oh, I, I, let's not get into it right now. It's, it's, okay. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a whole, whole thing, yeah, right? Absolutely. Well, I mean, for me, I think that the first one that I was ever really um, aware of would be the one that we spoke about earlier, the Springbok Tour one, just because that's got, like, such a huge um, thing. And I guess, like, the kind of, like, the cultural identity of, like, you know, like, the New Zealander or whatever, like, really hinges around a lot of those kind of, like, pivotal moments like where you know like the small countries you know stepped up or whatever so it's like yeah the springbok tour the anti-apartheid one um and then also um there's like a, a there was like a long-standing anti-nuclear nuclear thing in um in new zealand where awesome. um we refuse to let any kind of like nuclear ships or anything like that dock in new zealand all this kind of stuff um yeah just like a lot of stuff like that um that i remember from growing up so yeah kind of aware of a lot of those things um i think that there is kind of like it's this thing where it's like yeah like i was saying before where it was like a small group of dedicated people where it like kind of gets made into like this thing we did whereas like the people that actually did it have also kind of been like demonized and had their you know like lives ruined because of their involvement in things like this which is like really shitty whereas like you know, those people should be known as heroes. But um yeah, definitely like, you know, like I think that um those stories should be like those are the stories that kids should learn about in school, you know? Like it shouldn't be like, I don't know, some bullshit about like like yeah, in New Zealand, like there's this thing where it's like instead of learning a lot of history around what happened here, like it's like you learn about other countries because they're like, oh, well, we're such a young country. It's like, no, we're not. Like, Māori have been here for fucking ages. Like, yeah. you know? But, like, there's there have been a lot of things that have happened in our, like, recent history that, um, that a lot of people should know more about, whether it's about, you know, like, the anti-nuclear stuff, like, and, like, the Rainbow Warrior and, you know, like, that kind of stuff, whether it's about the Springbok tour, whether it's about, like, our own history of, like, imperialism in the Pacific and, like, you know, and abroad further. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, so, um, yeah, shortening that off, I think definitely the Springbok tour was the, the earliest one that I remember about. Amazing. Um, so um, the next one we've got is from Goat Eyed, who is asking... What are some weaknesses of boycotts and how can we overcome them or compensate for them with other methods? Um, yeah, I think um, like what we're talking about it is like it can be hard to gain momentum if you don't already have like a kind of existing kind of um, kind of reputation or whatever, you know, like a lot of the time um, boycotts are kind of like, you know, it'll be like a small group of people that will then you know, form an organization that kind of get the word out there, like from there. Um, so it's useful if you have like an existing involvement in organizations or like history with them, then it's usually easier to kind of like get the communications out there. Or if you have like an existing kind of social media following or some way that you can get a platform. Um, because yeah, the biggest weakness is if people don't know what you're doing, then you're just, you know, like, you're just not buying hummus, you know? Um, 
so yeah and um i would say that would be the the biggest thing would be um yeah trying to trying to get the word out there is like the hardest thing but um clear communications i think are a really important thing for stuff like this um and that is i think where a lot of people sometimes struggle especially when people are starting up small campaigns by themselves on social media and stuff um like you know and that's why a lot of bigger orgs do have like press secretaries and stuff like people that are really like you know like that sometimes even have some degree of like proper media training or like you know even like you know you might have a mate with a communications degree or something like that where it's like we need to cut to the point of what we're saying we need to be really clear with what our goals are we need like you know all that kind of stuff because it's it's really hard like if you know someone says like okay why do you support bds and you have to give them like this huge speech about like all that kind of stuff like you really just need to be able to say like because um you know israel is an apartheid regime um what they're doing is really terrible and they can only do it because they're being enabled by a lot of you know a lot of companies corporations and you know like governments Mm -hmm. so um this is so important what tim is saying i noticed that like and, and this is something I'm personally working on, but I've noticed this a lot when it comes to like a lot of like insular communities where we kind of like are really used to each other knowing what we're talking about. But when it comes to explaining to a normie, it feels exhausting. And then you're like, you feel like you you have to explain every single detail. And all of a sudden here comes these walls of text and like no one or, or like this like t- two hour video essay. And this is not the way <laughs> you need an elevator pitch. You need to be able to like, like say something quick and snappy, but, but effective. And it's not easy to come up with just short does not mean easy at all. It's like, yeah, it is really hard because it's like, okay, cool. Well, like I can give you like, you know, like I can tell you to watch this fucking Michael Parenti video about bananas (laughs) and then you'll fucking understand it all. But it's like, you know, it's like people just want to just know, you know, you got to have something that you can just, you can tell someone like, yeah, really just that they'll like, understand. One, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like a couple sentences or something like that. Especially if you're, you know, like if you're doing some kind of public demonstration or something like that, like, you know, like what are you, are you going to write a novel on your signs or whatever like that? You just need, yeah, something straight up. Um, but yeah. Yeah, there's a quote B-Rat has in the chat saying, I would have written a shorter letter if only I had more time, which is like, <laughs> yeah, it's um mm-hmm. getting your messaging down and your comms down is really hard. This is but, one um, thing that I feel like, at least like in our world, like the internet content creator world, that there's an absolute and total lack of, with, with the exception of Twitter, but then people just write these long ass threads, right? But you see like the video essays that are now like regularly coming out with like 10 hour videos, like that's fun and all. And that, that, that's, that's, I think that's, that, I'm not trying to say that that's like not a, like a great contribution, but it's a contribution to a particular audience only. And there is, seems to be a really a big lack of emphasis on the shorter, snappier, more digestible no, like I don't want to say normie friendly, but like something that's not just for this very very specific no, right. group of people. It's going to watch right. like two ten hours. Yeah, yeah. You're spot on. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely spot yeah, on. Yeah, yeah there has to be there has to be more accessibility uh, for this kind of stuff. And like you know, you said Twitter threads, and that is specifically something that I can't handle as an ADHD person. I just like get so distracted so easily. No, like, I can't it's a do lot it. Of text, you know what I mean? Yeah, I can't do absolutely, it. absolutely yeah 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 a couple of people do um have had really good success with um with uh tiktok 
um, as well. Not me. I, I'm not good at TikTok. Yeah, I think we all know this. Um, yeah, yeah. Sold some of you. <laughs> no, you're just not good at making TikToks. You're probably going to be dead good at watching it. Yeah. Oh, probably. Thank you. <laughs> the other part of the question was how to compensate for them with other methods, which I mean, I guess that's like that's really hard to answer because it depends on what um, what you're trying to boycott or whatever. Because you know that could like go from anywhere from like you know like some kind of like you know in person. Um, you know, like protest, like a march or something, or it could be like, um, there was, um, so the Alibet factory, what, what was the name of the group that, um, that protested them? Uh, I can't remember their name, British group. So Alibet's a, a factory that, um, making, making like shit for Israel, like, um, you know, like basically making weapons and weapon related things. They had a bunch of factories in England and, um, a small group of activists, just basically just camped out outside of them with signs and things telling everyone what they did there being like okay these these guys are making bombs that you know well, i don't mm-hmm. know if it's bombs but you know they're making equipment that contributes to the killing and displacement of palestinian people and um they were just kind of like oh fuck we don't need this attention and so they just packed up and left you know and so like that's you know that's a really good thing but it only really works because the factory the Alibet factory they just basically didn't want people to know what they were doing there, you know? So um, you really kind of have to tailor your, um, yeah, your um, kind of tactics to what the company, what the company doesn't want, you know? Like, do they not want attention? Do they not want, you know, like some kind of like economic hardship or whatever like that, you know? Like, um, yeah, you know, there's, um, you really have to look at it and think hard about um, what's going to, what's going to affect them the most? Like what's their weak spot? What's the little, what's the little red glowy bit that you got to hit under their belly to make them, you know, to do double damage or whatever. But, um, oh, the gamer um, reference for all you gamers out there. Yeah. 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 What's their crit? What, or how do you pro, get the crit? What's the pro strat? How do you crit? How do you, how do you crit, crit Israel? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um yeah, yeah, the next, the next, the next thing. Next that isn't... and last, because we are extremely over time. Yeah, we're just going to finish with this from Huskadu. Uh, for anyone who may need to hear it, what's the best response to there is no ethical consumption under capitalism to dismiss you? When you're speaking to someone about a boycott, the person saying that may not be doing so in good faith, but for others who may be listening. I think personally, like, um, you know, <clears throat> in terms of when, when people say there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, it's, it's, it's more often than not, unfortunately, like a cop out um, yeah. for people because they not... misunderstand what that quote's about. Basically. Yeah, yeah, and 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 when we're t- when we're saying there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, what we're saying is that capitalism must be abolished. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's, not it's... like. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well, I might as well just like keep buying Sabra hummus. I might as well just keep, uh, you know, buying clothes from fast fashion outlets and, and shit like that. You know, it's 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 really about like, like, look, you know, there is a nuance to this discussion. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, put, chat, put on your big brain hats. You know, there, there, we have to do some thinking about this. No one is going to sit there and tell a working class person who can't afford to shop anywhere other than, you know, somewhere that has incredibly bad ethical uh, practices. Uh, for example, I don't know how the fuck they make the shower gel in Aldi 
aka Trader Joe's, uh, that means that it's 60p. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know how they make that, but the, the unfortunate reality is I can't really afford to buy anything that's that's more ethical than that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's like you, you know, no one is sat here saying like, if you're poor, fuck you for for buying things that you can afford, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to buy the Gwyneth Paltrow cruelty-free fucking yeah. brand, right? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. I would no love... No one's saying I would, that. I would oh. love to be able to afford to shop at Lush, for example. Like, I uh, love I, I Lush. Need to, I need to interject very briefly. Um, there's, a, there's a big, big myth under capitalism that's perpetuated by capitalism that if you... It, the more money you spend, the more ethical. And that's not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. It's extraordinarily, demonstrably not true. Um, there's... If you want, we can... I can always show you resources. We can do this in Discord or whatever. Like, but yeah, uh, it's not true. Ethical and, like cruelty free and all that kind of stuff is like often like a marketing kind of thing that's often brands, a marketing right? thing but i'm yeah, sp- yeah. speaking specifically to what neil is saying about like buying something cheaper means that it's less ethical than if you bought something more expensive and yeah it's not, not always true. true yeah it's not always true at all and i think uh, it's the rarely reason... true in fact because yeah, the, re- the way that that's not how ca- i think we all know that's not how capitalism works right yeah the 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 emphasis I was trying to make here is that I think that sometimes people think that like it's classist to say that like you know everybody needs to shop a certain way etc etc and I I just wanted to sort of like point out that it's like no one is trying to force people who don't have a lot of money to like spend more money than they can Um, and uh, you know exactly like Kira said it's not always the case that uh, you know more ethical things are more um, expensive so there you go yeah yeah totally yeah um, i think it's like the main yeah, thing is ahead. if someone if someone says something about you know there's no ethical consumption under capitalism like it's very easy like if someone says something like that to like to just be like okay cool like you've you've just quoted a small part of a larger piece that i don't think you understand and like yeah. it's actually a you know it's actually a critique of the entire system of capitalism and why you know why we need to abolish it and not you know, like not a way just to, um, you know, discount any attempt to do so, whatever. But I think that like for people that are intentionally trying to wind you up by saying that kind of stuff, like people that are reactionary or whatever, a lot of the time it's like they don't actually care about facts or whatever, but what they hate is like feeling embarrassed or whatever. So you can just point out that like, oh no, you don't actually understand what you're talking about. That is <laughs> if they are being shitty like that, it might just be a friend being like, eh, mm-hmm. whatever. But um, yeah, if someone is trying to like sneak in and own like that, then it's just like, well, no, you actually, like you don't even understand what you're quoting. Like this is what it's about. And um, I think that, um, mm-hmm. you know, like people are usually, people will shut up faster if you can kind of like, embarrassing like that than, yeah. um, than if you like bust out facts and figures and you know yeah. like a broad dissection of society or whatever you're right 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 the way that uh, i'm going to piggyback on everything else uh, uh both of what you said i agree with and i would sometimes i include what you said into like my answer to this because i get this a lot as a vegan like a lot um but just to add on sometimes i'll i'll just answer with like something like um so like what do you feel about like owning slaves they're like oh that's horrible it's like but there's no ethical consumption under capitalism so like can't you just have some slaves then like yeah it's like obviously you got to draw somewhere like Like, no you can't like you see you'll see these like liberals that masquerade as socialists or whatever the hell they call themselves will 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 um denigrate people like Pete Buttigieg for working for um whatever the hell he worked for what was that horrible um I don't know like 
one of those one of those horrible consulting companies that like oh, right, bread yeah. prices and some yeah, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. yeah the bread prices thing right. yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and like and, and and like anyone who knows about that 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 will end up using the like there's no ethical consumption of capitalism whenever they if they say that and they they're involved in electoral politics. They were during the last election. They probably shot on Pete Buttigieg for for what he did for working for that company. But so like there there's like a huge disconnect in like what they claim to espouse versus what they are actually willing to do. And that's where that's coming from. That's why they're citing that. But they're they're clearly in agreement that being shitty as a human is being shitty. If that's shitty to be shitty. Um, and so, like, clearly there's somewhere it's hard to figure out where that line exactly is in our society throughout your entire life. And again, as a vegan, I've, I've I dealt with this very personally and I've talked about this a lot in my stream. But um, those people that say that, quote, they understand that, like, if if I was if we live under capitalism, if I was like decide to buy some humans to to enslave them, that that that's not a defensible thing to do, despite me reciting the mantra, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. Yeah, Anyways, you, you just you just buy slaves. And McKenzie, just yeah, that the to McKenzie, McKenzie, McKen McKenzie. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. was it. You just the you shit. just repeat that mantra to yourself, and it makes it all. Oh, go there's no away. ethical. Yeah, you just like <laughs> just keep doing it. It's like hail marys. You got to do hundred <laughs> of it, and then that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. but yeah, thank you so much, uh, Tim, uh, for basically structuring this episode, basically doing Big this episode. Clap. He's very good. We love Comrade Tim, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, like yeah, really appreciate that. I think that I think we've done a good job of uh, sort of uh, not just. Uh, educating people about boycotts but also um you know uh, uh criticizing the attempt of a boycott of uh you know reactionary far-right individuals uh so thank you so much appreciate that cool yeah. well mule where can people find some more of uh donald john on mule they can, they can thank you tim they can find me dr dr donald Donald mule uh over at dj mule uh it's i've got a link tree linktra.ee basically that's it uh forward slash dj m-u-e-l for those listeners out there who can't see my name uh on the screen or in the twitch chat uh but yeah essentially uh it would really really mean the world if you would go and check out my new video uh it's called berserk as a queer polyamorous love story it's been uh, about five months in the making and uh yeah it's one of the the, the it's biggest... the fancy one that is it's the fancy 4k one it's the i that's correct oh, i filmed that's it right, in 4k yeah, yeah. and and what are we doing tomorrow? You and me, Mule. You and me. You and me. You and me. Tomorrow, what are we doing? Me and my sweet, beautiful comrade Kira are going to be reacting to my video uh, on her stream. So uh, this is a this is a duel. Where can we find more of moment? Uh, if, as long as you go check me out on YouTube, DJ M U E L, that would uh, rock so much just for the time being. Mm -hmm. But also, you could find more Kira. If you go to twitch.tv forward slash Kara Chats and Kara, tell us where we can find more of you in general. Yeah, well, everything. Kara Chats everywhere. Um, my link tree is Kira Chats. You can find a link to my link tree if you don't know how to find link tree. Just type in link tree Kira Chats in Google, but you can also just go to my Twitter, twitter.com slash Kira Chats. It's the links in there. Um, all my stuff's in there. Um, I just want to put it out there that I am a sex worker. <sighs> also, I have a link tree. Oh these my things, god. These things are just facts about me. Um, so check out my link tree. Anyways, Tim, where can we find you? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you can find me uh in many places here on Twitch. You can find me as Conquest of Dread. You can also find me on YouTube over under that name. 
but on Twitter, you can find me as Dread Conquest. So same things, just around. Um, I haven't been streaming too much outside of Red Planet lately. I would like to, though. I um, Yeah, I there's a couple little games that have come out that I might jump on soon. I feel like um, maybe I'll do like a Hangout game stream on the Discord. Um, what we do with the little, the little Hangout streams is usually we like, watch a movie or a documentary or something like that but maybe i'll do a game one soon or we can like there's like the games built into discord that you can play with people so maybe yeah, maybe some people in the hangouts that out. can do that there's like heaps of them they're all like does competitive it, does ones. it work like, does apparently work? yeah apparently there's like some cool kind of jackbox ones and there's like some like mini golf ones and stuff but that could be oh, cool if people want to come and um yes jump in on the discord uh if you are of um what is it of goblin mode or above and you can get into the hangouts then you can um come we can i don't know we'll do something but um yeah and then obviously um our beloved soph who is not here not here this week out doing based stuff you know uh-huh. doing the cat boy lennon tattoo with one hand and just <laughs> Whatever, whatever. doing estrogen injections with the other yeah, yeah i couldn't even remember what else we were doing. um <laughs> but uh yeah but you can check her out uh the important one for her is patreon.com slash sophie from mars um but you can go to linktree so linktra.ee slash sophie from mars for everything but um yeah so from mars uh on twitter twitch and youtube uh yeah you can find her in, in all of the usual places um yeah awesome cool so um that's that's it so wow. we're going to um raid into our good friend casey explosion who is doing a charity marathon in support of the peter mcvery trust yes uh, so if you're yeah, listening uh, how- on podcasts make sure yeah. you go and support casey if you get a chance um i think she should yeah. still be doing this um yeah uh, or Apparently, maybe not i don't a, know actually a housing first services provider in ireland yeah 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 but yeah thank you so much everybody for watching and listening and taking part in the chat and all that kind of stuff remember synergy based stuff at based at redplanetshow.com and we will see you next week also um it's a i'm single yeah remember that thanks for listening to this episode of red planet if you enjoyed the show leave a five-star review on apple podcasts and tell your comrades about it find more on the show including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more at our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Conrad Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.